You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 697. I've been trying to squeeze a dollar out of a dime, and I even got a cent. DJ, hustle and flow. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Enjoy today's episode with guest host, Jason Buff. Today we're talking with Darius Britt, aka D for Darius. Now Darius is one of these guys who has just taken over on YouTube and has a filmmaking channel that is really, really amazing. It's got tons of information. And one of the things we're going to be talking about in this episode is the concept of personal brand and branding yourself on YouTube and Facebook. And the the concept, you know, it's not a new concept. Any anybody who knows Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Stanley Kubrick, all of these names that are always coming up in filmmaking classes. And whenever you're talking about filmmaking, you're always like, oh, well, Kubrick and Hitchcock and these guys, those people have a brand. And I know that it's not a popular way to think about it in the same way that you would say, okay, well, Starbucks is a brand and Nike is a brand, but there's a difference between branding and marketing. And branding is really when your name has all these things represented with it. Okay. When you think about Steven Spielberg, you think about certain things. When you think about Eli Roth, when you think about Stanley Kubrick, when you think about Hitchcock, they all represent something. And their names would be at the very top of the posters. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why Spielberg's name is at the top of Transformers posters and Back to the Future and all these other things, because that name means something. When you say Spielberg, it means something to people. So what we need to do as filmmakers is to pay attention to the connection we have with our audience and to start making a personal connection with our fans and the people who you want your film to be for. And there's tons of people that have never done, they don't understand this concept, but the people that are really out there, the people that you remember are the ones who make sure that their name is always front and center and their, you know, their image is out there and people know who they 
are. They do interviews. They do behind the scenes. And they get in front of the camera. I remember one of the first things, the first time I ever thought about who the filmmakers were, were seeing like Rages of the Lost Ark documentaries on PBS. And you would see Steven Spielberg doing interview after interview after interview and talking about filmmaking and talking about that. You know, he was out there before most of these people. I think one of the first people to do it was probably like Hitchcock used to do, you know, all the kinds of behind the scenes stuff. And Disney was also out there and they branded themselves and they created a connection with their audience. And if you really want to kind of go to the next level with your filmmaking, instead of focusing completely on your film, try to focus on building your own personal connection with your audience. All right. Here's my interview with Darius Britt. Typically like to find out is, uh, you know, when filmmaking kind of inspired you when you were, you know, what, what films inspired you? What was the thing that kind of made you want to get into filmmaking? That's kind of a strange story for me, but maybe not so strange. Maybe there's other stories that are better, but originally I wanted to be a comic book artist for the longest time. And, uh, it just wasn't in the cards for me to be a good illustrator. I found out the hard way that I think to be competent, you need to have a certain level of photographic memory. So, and I didn't have that. So long story short, at the age of 23, I realized uh, I would never be able to achieve uh, what I wanted in that medium, but I still had the itch to tell stories. So then I started looking elsewhere and um, thought of filmmaking. I was considering doing novel writing, but I'm, I'm not a writer like that. So, <laughs> so can you draw though? No. Well, after <laughs> I mean, Literally, yeah, it usually usually helps to be able to, you know, the draw. second I put the pencil down, I thought I would regret it for so long because it was such a huge part of me. But as soon as I found filmmaking, uh, I never looked back. I don't even really miss drawing at all. So what what that tells me is I really just needed to find the right medium to mm -hmm. express is what it was. And I thought it was drawing and it wasn't that. But have you always been kind of artistic? Yeah, I always had stories in my head, I think. I mainly was attracted to illustration because of the control. You, there weren't as many factors that could, you know, ruin an idea. You just had mainly a writer and a, and an illustrator. Whereas filmmaking, you have so many moving pieces and parts. So that's what attracted me to that. But, but yeah, I found filmmaking in a film called Possession with Sam Neill was the one that really launched me off into it. It's, it's a transgressive film, but I think showed me, it showed me something I had not seen before at that time. And that's what kind of woke me up to the possibilities of the medium. Generally with transgressive films, uh, you can find a lots of, <laughs> uh, they push the boundaries on, I guess, violence. And I, I don't know the best way to describe it. I'd have to Google it and give you the definition <laughs> okay. so I don't misrepresent it, you know. But a right. transgressive film, they're, they're kind of the touchier films. Uh, you could say Gaspar Noe makes a lot of transgressive films. They really push the boundaries on what's considered acceptable or what you can show in a film. Um, so what is your background? Where Tell us a little bit about where you're, you know, I, I want to get into your YouTube channel, but how did you end up, you know, there. what's, yeah, well, what's your, a little bit of your biography. So we just kind of know a little bit about you. I could give you the abridged version of that one. I was in the Air Force <laughs> for four years as a jet mechanic, got out, went to the University of Arizona for film. And while I was going to the university, I was writing a feature length script. As soon as I got out of film school, a month out, I shot that feature length film called Unsound. Fast forward a year later, test screenings later, reshoots later, a year and a half on the festival circuit later, and I am where I am right now. But I think the departure point between what really 
kind of pushed me onto the online space was when I was doing the festival circuit for my senior thesis film, Seafood Tester. In order to graduate, you had to make a senior thesis film. I was doing the festival circuit in tandem with producing Unsound. So I was shooting Unsound while I was submitting Seafood Tester. And I started realizing that maybe the festival's weren't what I thought they were uh, in terms of getting yourself out there. You know, all the Cinderella stories we hear with, you know, Kevin Smith, Tarantino, the usual list. So I started realizing based off the reception of the short film, Seafood Tester, that maybe my expectations were a little too high with regard to the marketing power and, you know, getting into top tier festivals in particular. And sure enough, uh, when I started touring on sound, I was right. Like, you know, you got rejected from Sundance. It's the usual like, oh, man, I thought I would get in. So I started looking elsewhere uh, right after the tail end of my short film Seafood Tester. I started looking online for other ways to build a sense of community around my work, connect with other filmmakers, connect with an audience. And then that's when I found YouTube. I started looking up other YouTubers and I was like, you mean to tell me there's more than just people doing cat videos and like <laughs> they're garnering these huge, massive audiences? What? Like, why yeah. didn't anybody tell me? I The word YouTube must have popped out of somebody's mouth maybe one time mm -hmm. in my entirety of film school. And it was like, oh, yeah, you can just throw your film on YouTube. That was it. Like there was no talk about the the entire world, the brandability uh what people are doing online. There was no talk about that at all. So uh, yeah, it was a huge, huge departure for me. And as soon as I saw that, I was hooked. What, what years were you in film school? Uh, I graduated in 2012. and I So yeah, they should have been probably, you know, talking about that. I'm always amazed at how little people understand about getting online and putting your film online, connecting with an audience, just kind of, it's the way things have kind of moved, you know? You, if you're not online as a creative, you don't exist pretty much. In my opinion, you don't exist because uh, it's so tough to reach. It levels the playing field is what it does. If you understand how to leverage micro content to to get yourself found and to build community, to reach audiences, then you're stuck doing the old method, which is print media or PR, you know, and that all costs a lot of money. Like a, yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So in my opinion, you really need to be online and not just be online. You need to understand how to use the tools to engage audiences and connect. So while I was on YouTube, I, I learned that a lot of it the hard way. The first six months I was on YouTube, I was I was splashing around. I wasn't really I was treading water for the first six months because I didn't mm. understand how to create content that pulls audiences towards you. I was pushing myself onto people. So, um, well, how do you mean pushing yourself onto people? Well, for instance, certain things are going to get views and certain things are not. So if you make content tailored towards what people are looking for, you will be found. If you make content that no one is looking for, it's going to be a <laughs> lot. It's going to be a lot tougher for you to get right. found. So in my case, I was making vlogs about my adventures on the film festival circuit and getting distribution. Now, that seems like that would be a 
heavy hitting topic only you have to remember a large portion of the audience on YouTube is still fairly young. It's changing. Lots of older people are jumping into the pool now, but it's still fairly young. So I was making vlogs about things that most people aren't even on that level. Most people are on the, how do I make a short film level? How do I light? What is three point lighting? So I was not getting any kind of traction. Uh, so I needed to push myself. So for instance, I would go to, I wouldn't recommend doing this anymore, but when I was starting, you know, I was very aggressive. So I'd go to a bigger YouTubers page, bigger filmmaking channels page, uh, see one of their videos. And then I'll go down the comment section and personally message every person who commented on their video. Hey, how you doing? And I basically pitch myself. Started a new YouTube channel. I'm a filmmaker hitting the film festival circuit with a first feature link film. You can follow us to learn about the distribution process, what it's like to submit to film festivals. And I pitched the value of my channel to them. And that worked. It worked very well. I was getting like maybe 20 subscribers a day doing that. But at the same time, it was extremely time consuming because I'm pushing myself onto people. So my my amount of growth is limited to the number of people I directly contact. And uh, I didn't just do that on YouTube. Uh, I did it on Facebook. So I joined like four or 500 filmmaking Facebook groups across the world. (laughs) I would look up every city and join, find the Facebook group and join it. And then I would advertise my films or my vlogs whenever I had one out. I did it on Google Plus and I was doing it so much that I started getting all kinds of problems on all the platforms. Like uh, YouTube took my comments away for a year (laughs) because I was like doing like 300 messages. It's been like straight two hours. Boom. Just messaging Um, because I I really wanted it, you know. Um, uh, so, but then I, I began to realize, and I know I'm kind of just going off here so you can... No, no, this is great. This is great. <laughs> I began to realize that the, the amount of time I was spending reaching people could be better spent generating more content. Uh, and I also realized that these bigger YouTubers... They're not doing what I'm doing in order to get where they got. They're growing organically. They're not having to personally message people. So then I reevaluated my uh, content strategy and I started really studying their channels before I would see them. And, okay, you're making filmmaking stuff. Cool. I can do that. But I wasn't really seeing what they were doing. So then I started kind of reverse engineering their channels. Okay, well, what's what are the, the videos that are hitting the hardest on their channel? Oh, how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. And then I'd start looking up search fields and see, okay, well, there's this one guy who only has 35 subscribers, yet he has a video on three-point lighting that has 5,000 views. So if this guy who has 35 subscribers, nobody knows who he is, yet this one video has a ton of views, that tells me that if you make a video on a topic like that, you're guaranteed to get views anyway, just because people are looking for that. In the video, of course, the guy made was not very good. So that tells me even more. It's like, okay, so instead of pushing myself onto people, I need to I need to generate content that people are looking for. And sure enough, uh, the first video I did using that strategy, uh, the first video I did for, you know, I think it was how to how to make a short film. Uh, That video in one day got more views and did better than all my other videos did in a week without me even marketing it, without me even pushing it. It just like, boom, I was like, oh, that was it. Darius Britt here. So today we're covering five things that you can do to improve your filmmaking skills. 
So these aren't in any particular order, but number one would be taking acting classes. This is going to give you a sense of the acting process, and you're going to learn about the acting lingo. And these two tools are going to make you a much better communicator when it comes to talking with your actors and getting what you need out of them. Oftentimes you're asking things of your actors, but you don't really know what it's like to be on the other side of the camera and what you're actually asking of them. So by being on the other side of the camera and performing yourself, you'll thus know what it's like to be an actor, and you'll thus understand their predicament a little bit better, and it's going to make you, again, a much better communicator. This is a great way to meet new talent. You'll meet and work with new actors that you might work with in the future, and you guys will already have a working relationship and kind of understand how each other works. And number two, watch Inside the Actor's Studio. The episodes aren't very long, and it is a great resource to learn about acting. You can pretty much find all the episodes online for free, and if you watched one video every day for a month, you would learn so much about acting. I promise you, if you are not comfortable directing actors now, if you watched Inside the Actor's Studio every day, one episode for a month, by the end of that month, you feel like you can direct anybody. And number three, watch your favorite films with the sound off. By doing this, this allows you to focus on just the visuals. You'll be surprised at how much more you pick up with the sound off and you just watching the visuals. Everything feels different. Watch how they move the camera. How does it affect the narrative? How does it make you feel as an audience member? How does it affect the pacing of the story? Watch five of your favorite films with the sound off at least twice and just really study the camera movements and I guarantee you, you will learn a lot. And number four, shoot as often as possible. If you want to get better at directing actors, the best way to get better at directing actors is to direct actors. Grab a couple friends, script out a scene, and shoot it. Don't worry about lighting it, don't worry about making it look pretty, just focus on working with actors. Don't dump any resources into these scene studies, just shoot them for free, you don't have to upload them anywhere. You just shoot it, work with the actors, cut it up, learn your lessons, and then delete it if you want. You want to get better at working on your visual effects? Perform VFX tests. Just practice, practice, practice. Stay prolific, stay busy, stay at it. And number five, watch a lot of movies. And I don't mean watch a lot of movies, I mean watch a lot of movies. Watch movies until you're sick of watching them and then watch some more. On the face of it, it seems easy, but you'll be surprised at how quickly you get sick of watching movies after a certain point. The more you watch, the more familiar you'll be with storytelling, the more you'll see certain trends and cliches, you'll see things done well, things done not so well, but you'll have all of this experience to reflect on when you're making your own movies, thus making you a better filmmaker. And if you have any time after that, actually break down the movies that you watch, as in watch them repeatedly. Study the ones that you found were good, break them down to figure out why they're so good, and study the ones that are bad, break them down to figure out why they're so bad. It's no coincidence that usually the best filmmakers tend to be cinephiles as in, you know, Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg. They've seen so many movies that they have such a, an archival knowledge of films that they can't help but make better movies. So the moral of the story, watch a crap ton of movies until you vomit and then watch more. And uh, <laughs> so I still didn't learn my lesson, though. So I did both. I was like, OK, well, if I can make videos that people are finding organically and I still push, I could get double the double the whammy. You know, and I, I did that for a little while, but then it just became very counterproductive because I was getting more growth organically than I was pushing myself. And I was still getting messages from Facebook saying you're misusing the platform and all yada. So I just stopped. <laughs> right. I'm telling like they, they were shutting down on me, man. <laughs> they were shutting down. So then I, I stopped doing all that stuff altogether and just relied on making good content that people are looking for. And then, you know, it's just kind of been history ever since. Now it's like not worth my time to even really push any of my stuff out there. I just, I just create it. And, you know, there's something to be said about when you take the time to understand the mechanics of searchability and what people are looking for, it can really, really make all of the difference. And I feel like that parallels a lot of what Hollywood's doing too. So now I'm not so upset about everybody, you know, groans about genre pictures and, you know, them 
exploiting licenses that are already huge brands. I completely understand why they do what they do, because even on the online space, you're still beholding to supply and demand or you're not supply and demand. You're still beholding to uh, what people are looking for, because I can make the best film on the planet. I can make the best video on the planet um, on YouTube. But if it's not if it's not in that stream of what people are looking for, it's not going to get found and it's not going to get shared as much. But there are strategies to straddle the fence. But uh, just in my journey online, I, I definitely understand the importance of creating content that's essentially marketable and sellable. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Is there a, is there a way to do you do you do like a mailing list and stuff like that, or is it just purely like getting subscribers? I do have a mailing list. I haven't put as much emphasis on that mailing list. Uh, I'm going to be putting more on it when I release Unsound, but right now it's mainly I'm um, using all the fishnets to you know I've got the YouTube and then Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Those are my main main ways of communication at the moment. Tell but, me about uh, Snapchat. I keep hearing about that. I know nothing about Snapchat. How how is that a way to connect with people? First off, I think before I jump into uh, the platforms, I think what's worth mentioning is the the strategy behind them first because then you better understand their use. The way that I view social media is um I am I am after building a strong brand. I don't just want people to know my name. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I want to pull them in close to me. I want to build a, a relational connection with them. I want them to connect to me as a creative for me as a creative, not just my body of work. That's what I'm after. Basically, I would like a cult following. You know, I don't just want people who are like, oh, yeah, I saw one film by that guy. I want people to be like, oh, Darius. I, yeah, I know him. That's what mm-hmm. I'm after. I want that relational connection. And I think platforms like YouTube or particular YouTube is like the best for that. Extremely powerful because you can engage your audience audience you know not only can you release a film but you can answer the comments so you can you you can build that connection with people and i think when you view the other social media platforms in that light where it's about connecting it's not about hey it's not about it's not so much about self-publicizing as it is connecting and i think one of the biggest mistakes people i see people doing is all they do is push what they're doing on these platforms They're not giving any kind of value. They're just pushing. Hey, look at my short film. Look at my feature film. You can buy it here. You can buy it there. Look at, look at, look at, look at. And they're not sharing anything. They're not, they're not thinking of what can I give to someone else to make what they're doing better to empower them. So it's basically the giver's game principle. You you need to give value to them. Give them a reason to want to follow you. It can't just be about you, you know. You've got to you've got to kind of empower others and give to others. So what I do on the other social media platforms is it's a way for me to connect to them off of just YouTube and give different types of content to, you know, share quotes, inspirational things I found inspirational, um, you know, literally any anything that I think they would find valuable. That's what I do on those other platforms. And I do it on a consistent basis because it's just like marketing where it's about impressions. You can't build a relationship with someone off of seeing them one time. Like how well can you get to know a girl off of one date? Not very well. Like you need to see them repeatedly, you know, 
Uh, it's about the number of times that you make contact with them. That's how you build a relationship with your audience. So even though, you know, um, take Instagram, for instance, even though, yes, you, you take a picture, you have a little caption, you know, they scroll through, they see a little picture and they like it. Right. And that may seem like a very small thing. But when you multiply that over, say, three months, if somebody's been following you on Instagram, that really builds a connection there, especially if the content that you're sharing on Instagram is something they can find valuable or entertaining. So it's those impressions, that repeated contact that builds that trust, that builds that relational connection. So now you're not just hobo filmmaker, but now you're Jason Buff, you know? Oh, yeah, I know him. I follow him on Instagram. Oh, I like his pictures. Oh, he he told me this one quote that I, you know, I remember, you know, like it's it that's that's the whole game givers game building a connection uh working on fostering that sense of community that's the whole that's the whole point of those social media networks that's the i mean outside of that you're wasting your time really in my opinion yeah i i, I totally agree with you i mean one of the biggest things that i see or biggest mistakes i see is so many people just putting pure stuff like all about me you know look at my stuff can you can you do me this favor can you like my this or like my that you know and it, it really is true what you're saying you know that you you, the the thing it should be about giving to people and that's what's going to attract people that's what's going to make people like your page or you know subscribe to you is that you're giving them what they want to have exactly it's about i think you know it's not it's not unlike the older forms of marketing, you know, where it's like, hey, I've got this PDF, you know, I'll give you a free ebook or whatever if you join my mailing list. It's the same thing, just different. And it's a little more engaging. Like you're still giving people things for free. And in return, they know your name. So it's giver's gain. Like when you boil it all down in order to survive in this climate now where everybody can do anything as an artist, you have to have a brand. You have to have a strong brand. You know, you have to have brand awareness. And the best way to get that now is either you're creating content that has a massive following, like uh, Scott McMohan put it with the uh, classic marketing. It's like, if you want to be a leader, jump in front of a parade. You know, you're either connecting to something that is already huge. You know, you're connecting into Zeitgeist or you're connecting into Star Wars or a brand that already has a huge following that is ravenous for content. You're either connecting into that or you're giving people what they're looking for in terms of empowerment. You know, people trying to learn filmmaking. Well, if you're the guy who shows them, guess what? They know you. Oh, I found this video. Oh, he's got a whole series. Of, you know, like now they know you. And even though that takes a lot of work to to do that, I think the rewards are numerous. Like they're it's amazing. It's like once you start rolling that snowball, it starts rolling itself after a while. Um, but that's not to say every artist needs to make how to videos. I, I'm just saying as an artist, <laughs> as an artist, you need to find a way to give value to people on a consistent basis. You can't mm -hmm. just crank out a movie and then disappear for a while. You need to find a platform and you need to find a constant content strategy where you can leverage micro content, whether it's blogging, whether whatever. But you need to have something else where you can build your brand while you're making your masterpieces, you know, because if you just wait till you make a movie and then you collect emails and then you disappear for a while. OK, that three years that you're away, you're not growing. You're not building your brand. You're gone. You're off the grid. Whereas the person like me who's still creating micro content, still hitting the search engines with the content strategy, still still planting the seeds, you know, all mm -hmm. the time. Well, the next time I make a movie, you know, it's going to be that much easier, you know. So uh, and that 
that's another big thing I think is artists just want to make what they want to make, but they, they need to realize you're not just an artist. You're an entrepreneur. Now you can't just make your art. You need to find a way to market yourself. You need to find a way to brand yourself. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I like, I like that you uh, quoted Scott because he's, he's a good friend of mine. Um, what, uh, most filmmakers don't really understand this aspect of the filmmaking world, you know, marketing and, and a lot of the stuff that you just said, what was your kind of what brought you into that world? Did you like read any books that influenced you or was was there something that like got you into the marketing side of filmmaking? To be completely honest with you, desperation is what plunged me in <laughs> because I have this huge movie that I have literally charged up all my credit cards for, pulled out loans for. Uh, like, I went into debt to make this film. And now when I'm on the fest circuit, you know, and my expectations were not what I set out to do because I was still going off the old model that I learned in film school, you know, make a film, get on the fest circuit, you'll meet producers, you'll meet all this stuff, they'll help you make your next film, you'll meet a distributor to sell it. And the reality is that's not what's happening out there. That is not what's happening. So, you know, I got this golden egg on my back that I spent a lot of money on and I can't yeah. just say, Oh, well that didn't work out. So right. let me just go get a, you know, let me flip burgers. Like that's not an option at this point. I'm not paying this debt off for the next 20, 30 years. Like, so what really got me into it um, wasn't a book because I kind of found out about Gary Vaynerchuk after I had already kind of codified my way of doing things, but it was just studying other YouTubers, to be honest with you, studying mm -hmm. what works for them. And usually what works is giving content that people are looking for and engagement, the two biggest things. Because right. if you give people content, but you're not engaging them, you're not building uh, a community that will evangelize what you do, you know? Like mm -hmm. building that relational connection, that's the second step. But that's kind of where, where I saw most of the patterns. It's like, okay, these videos did well. And not only that, this is what they're doing on their social media platforms. Oh, I can see why that works. Because I liked it when, you know, when I go, oh, that's cool. This is a cool quote. Oh, this is, you know. So then once you start thinking of it in those terms, then the ideas, everything makes sense when you think of it as giver's gain. You know, the more I give, 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 give. At the end of the day, it all comes back to you. You know, people know you now. You don't have to work as hard for people to take interest in what you're doing. So um, I think once I got that concept, uh, mm -hmm. everything else just kind of fell into place. Right. It's have not you... about like duping somebody into being curious. It's literally about uh -huh. making a connection, a personal connection, as personal as you can get it. Uh, I used to accept a lot of friends on my personal fan uh, Facebook page for a while. I had to stop doing that, though. <laughs> you know, I was trying. It, it was all about how to bring people closer to you as a as a creative, but as a person, too. You know, like, yeah, if you ask me a question, I'll answer it. If you tweet me, I'll try my best to tweet back all my Facebook messages. I answer and it gets tough because I'm getting comments and questions from all these platforms, Instagram, people PMing you. DMing you. So it, it, it is definitely tough to do. And you, if you go through most of my YouTube videos, you'll see I answer a ton of comments. And a lot of YouTubers, some of them, when they get bigger, they don't answer comments, you know, and it's like you're missing a huge component to branding right there. That's an opportunity to make somebody who could have been just a passive viewer to make them that much more engaged. Like, how would you feel if you tweeted Tom Cruise right now and he tweeted you back? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Or like, who, who do you look up to? I'm sure there are a lot of people um, in the community that you 
Well, actually, you probably get a hold of everybody that year. <laughs> oh, I, no. I, I mean, more not. in the stratosphere, you know, like yeah. Will Smith or something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, like if I if I ever talk to uh, somebody like Spielberg or, you know, Scorsese or those guys, that would just like, you know, be the end for me. Exactly. Like if you were to tweet Scorsese and he tweeted you back and then he even put the sign so that, you know, it was actually him and not his, you know, social media manager. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like what would that yeah. do to you? You'd be like, oh, man, like he now you're not. You know, it's like that does something to people. That's right. like, wow, like he took the time to tweet me back. Now, obviously, somebody on his level, that would he couldn't do that all the time. But you get the idea, though. It's like that kind of opens up another door where you're not just this guy on this pillar off in the mountain somewhere making masterpieces and pooping rainbows and unicorns. But now, <laughs> you're, now you're an actual person now, you know, like I've actually yeah. con- contacted you and you responded like that in my that's what it's all about in my opinion you know it's not just the work it's the connection so when you go make a flop they still support which because they support you as a creative it's like oh that last movie you did that wasn't the strongest (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know (laughs) what i thought about you know like i'm not i don't know i'm feeling that last one but if you've got a connection that goes beyond just your work it's way easier to rebound from that because they're looking at you as a person and not just a oh yeah all you do is shell out products you know like as uh has youtube changed since you got involved with it it has it's always changing uh some ways for the better i think when i first got onto the platform it was fairly turbulent for a lot of the uh, older youtubers who've been on the platform for a while not older in age just older in you know vet status Right. <laughs> uh, I'm used to the way YouTube has changed. I was around when they did the whole merger and the, the comments and everything got all wonky and they tried to make everybody go through Google Plus to do anything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was there right when they were doing all of that. So I think it, it has changed, but the mechanics of searchability and getting yourself found and generating an audience is the same. And I don't think that's going to change, even though. There are a lot of fish in this in the sea now. There are a lot of people doing some amazing things on YouTube. It's more than just cat videos, obviously. You've got <laughs> short films that are rivaling the quality of Hollywood, you know, yeah. literally. But I think that there is still tons of room for people to get out there and cultivate an audience. Because to be honest, even though it seems like, oh, man, there's so many people doing it now. Oh, the Once the secret's out, it's over. That's not necessarily the case because everybody, when I joined, everybody was saying, oh, yeah, you know, YouTube, it's so saturated now. There's almost no point in jumping in because now you're competing against this person and that person, this person. But what I've found is, yes, it is very saturated. But just like in the filmmaking community where there are a there's a glut of content, but not all of it is well thought out and executed. It's the same thing on YouTube. There is a glut of people starting up new channels, but there are so many people who are not really executing it right. You know, they're not consistent. They're not they don't have a content. There's a lot of basics that are not being done that for someone who's really taking it seriously and really studying the platform they'll do fine. You know, even if you struggle for a little bit, but you're going to learn and you're going to figure it out and you'll do fine. You will get an audience. Your rate that, you know, everybody is different. It depends on what you're doing. If you're doing basket weaving, then yeah, it's going to be a very, very (laughs) slow jog for you, you know, but, but in small niche markets, you don't need to be a big fish as well. So that's the other caveat. Like I have a friend uh, in the aquarium community on YouTube. I've learned a lot from him. He only had up to 10,000 subscribers, but he was a huge fish in the aquarium community. I mean, I mean, he was getting sponsors. <laughs> he was getting flown out places. Oh, yeah. He was That's killing cool. it. 
He was yeah. killing it. So, so for people who take the time to really learn how to present themselves online and how to build a connection and understand branding, understand concepts like giver's gain, uh, there's plenty of room to jump in. The water's fine. You know what I find interesting is that there have been a lot of videos that I really liked about topics, filmmaking topics that, you know, I wanted to know more about. Like something very few people go into is are things like budgets and funding. And and I actually found a couple of videos that I liked and I was watching them. And I was like, oh, man, this is a great series. And then all of a sudden they just stopped. And it was like they quit putting up videos or I guess maybe they decided that it wasn't like working out the way they wanted it to. And it seems like so many people and it's the same thing with podcasting a lot of people just give up like right before they kind of break or they they start getting followers do you see that a lot you know the harsh reality of it is you do what you got to do until you can do what you want to do and that applies to that very very much applies to the online space um because basically i could have been the guy that you saw who made that budgeting video and then he mm -hmm. stopped. Had I not delved into the platform, basically, if I just gave up, that would have been me too. Right. <laughs> like, because when I first started, I was very aggressive, but I was also treading water to a large extent. The growth was not organic. Mm -hmm. And that guy who you saw, I assume he probably made videos, but he wasn't doing what I was doing on other platforms. So his growth was probably twice as frustrating. It's like, right. man, I'm making this great value, but it's like, man, it's like snails. Yeah. I hear crickets, you know, I get maybe a view every other day. Like what's going on? You know, the problem then becomes um, you got two choices. You know, there's a fork in that road. You can either keep doing what you're doing and say, OK, well, I'm going to produce the content I want to make. And I just have to change my expectations. So I know mm -hmm. that this isn't a heavy hitting topic as, say, a Star Wars fan film, but I get gratification out of doing it. And if. 200 people see it. I'm happy with that. Or you can say, well, if I change my content strategy, I can still do what I want to do. I just may have to take a roundabout way of doing it. So for that guy, I would say, yes, if you're making film, you know, videos about budgeting, you can still do that. But maybe what you should do is mix up your strategy so that you can incorporate videos that people are searching for first. Mm -hmm. And then do the budget videos once you've tapped into the stream, because now you've got a few billboard videos out there that get you found. And then once they find you, then they find something else that they didn't even know that they wanted. Right. So because they wouldn't have been looking it up in the first place if they don't even know it's out there. One. And then there's a lot of people who aren't even necessarily at that level yet where they would be looking that up. But when they find your channel off of something they are looking for, then they can you know, kind of be directed into other areas that they weren't looking for, you know. Right. So for that guy, that's what I would say. Um, and actually for a lot of people, that's what I would say. You have to, sometimes you have to do the things you have to do in order to do the things you want to do. Like there's always, there's always that every job is like that. Every job has that even filmmaking. I think, you know, um, there's what you want to do straight up. And then there's the things you need to do to, to make it sustainable, you know, um, mm -hmm. And as as creatives, we all want to grow. That's all part of our plan. We don't just want to make stuff. We want to grow as well. We want people to see what we make. So when you realize and you be when you're honest with yourself and you're like, yes, I want to do this, but I also want viewership, then you need to to change your strategy to incorporate content that is going to bring you that viewership as well as the content that you just want to make. How about in terms just in terms of monetizing YouTube? Is there do you recommend that at all? It seems like you have to have like a billion views before you ever even like make anything from that. It's true. Like 
and generally speaking, if you get around a million views, that roughly translates to about $2,000. So for somebody who's making about two grand a month, they got to be pulling in, you know, over a million views a month. But I have found that YouTube is a lot like filmmaking in that in order to monetize what you do, it's uh, much smarter to use your channel as a an advertisement for something else that you sell directly, which is, you know, that's something I'm still working on. I've been in a brand building phase for so long, but I'm starting to branch off into uh, monetizing more. Like all my videos are monetized and I do make some, I can't really disclose what it is, but it's not nothing to write home about. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I already told you the million views is roughly what that equates to. Um, And right now I'm only getting, I think 50,000 views. Not you know what? I have to I have to look at my metrics here. Let me pull it up. About the viewage that I get per month. So you can probably do the math. I think, you know, again, you're falling into the creative entrepreneurship. If you just like filmmaking, if you look at you if you look at YouTube just like filmmaking, it there's a direct parallel. Filmmakers, mm-hmm. you make the film, you do the creative side, and then you go and you look for somebody to hand the keys to. Hey, I, I got the car, here's the keys, you know, take it, gas it up, get it polished, do everything, get it, make it nice get it found, take it to a car show. That's exactly what the old model of filmmaking was. Whereas the new model now that's cropping up, which is creative entrepreneurship, you make the movie, but you also handle how to monetize it, which goes beyond just selling the movie. You get into exploiting the license, you know, like shirts or other additional merchandise or video downloads of things that orbit around your film, but aren't exactly your film. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Or consulting or offering uh, packages where, you know, for a thousand dollars, you can, you know, talk to the cast. And, you know, those are things that you can monetize far easier and it will take you way further than literally just selling your film or worse yet, handing the keys over to a distributor who's probably I mean, there's so many pitfalls with that. I'm sure you've kind of talked about that one in depth. Well, YouTube's the same way. If you literally make videos and you try to just live off of AdSense, um, it, you, you need to really be pulling in serious volume to make that model work for you. Uh, and most people don't reach that level. But if you take a creative entrepreneurship approach where you do not rely on just being the creative and letting a company make change off what you're doing, but you say, how can I monetize what I'm doing on my own? What can I sell? You know, whether it be an ebook or whatever, what can I generate where I can sell directly to my audience that I've cultivated? Uh, that'll take you way further. And it, like, it's a direct parallel um, that I've seen anyway. It's like, wow, man, that's just like YouTube. A lot of the YouTube channels I follow that talk about the game of YouTube and the craft of it and understanding the industry and how to monetize, how to make a living off of it on platform as well as off platform. It's the exact same thing. They're all talking about ways to generate uh, passive income and revenue um, by doing something to sell to your audience at different mm-hmm. price points. The exact same thing. Some of them, I mean, some of them are making a killing like six figures, and they're not huge YouTube names at all. And then there are some YouTubers who are, you know, they have crazy viewership, but you'd be surprised at what they're actually making. They're still living home with mom and dad, you know, and there's some, you know what I mean? Like, so it's all the way you look at it. Like if you take an entrepreneurial approach, you can make a lot of money. 
But if you just want to be a creative and you want to hand the keys to somebody else, then you're always going to be stuck wondering why, man, it's like I can't seem to make anything. It's like everybody else makes money but me. You know, it's the exact yeah. same thing. You know, you've got to take control of that. Does uh, <clears throat> Google Plus have any – is that kind of died out or is that like uh, even a factor anymore? Uh, I think Google has backed off of pushing that onto everyone. So it's not as – it's not as big of a thing as when they tried to force it down everybody. Mm-hmm. It's still around, but I, I honestly, personally, I don't put a lot of juice into Google <laughs> Okay. in terms of, you know, how I market. Right. Let's put it this way. When I release a video, I put it everywhere. I don't think about Google plus. <laughs> okay. You know, um, right. And I used to go to the, the groups in Google plus and all of that. But I just noticed I wasn't getting very much bite there at all. And they have a lot of, I, you know, I'm not going to say it's not worth anyone's time. Just saying to me, in my experience, I haven't gotten as much mileage out of it as I would have expected or liked. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have these other platforms that are, you know, killing it, essentially. So it, I just didn't find it worth worth it to me. to, to Maybe later on when they, you know, get the ducks in a row. You know, okay. I'll go back to it. Yeah. Um, but right now, it's it's not there yet to me. And even uh, I consider doing Google Hangouts uh, as a way to connect with fans more. But I think I'd probably sooner do Periscope, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So um, have you done much with Periscope? I haven't yet. I've been looking into it. I just got I just got on the Snapchat game like <laughs> a couple <laughs> months ago. You know, I, I was like, man, right. I need to get into Snapchat. I mean, it's the biggest platform out there right now. I don't even. I don't even. I mean, this is Facebook sad, but I don't even know what it is. Facebook what is, what is it? And okay. they were like, "Eh, no, we're good. <laughs> we're good on that." <laughs> so, it's uh, if you think of Snapchat as so, basically, you you can take pictures and video, but it has a shelf life. It only lasts for like twenty four hours. Uh, so it's kind of the anti Instagram, Facebook, Twitter in that everything is effervescent. So what? ends up happening is you can make these things called stories where say if you take 24 pictures throughout your day right now, each one of those 24 pictures will kind of get put together and you can watch it like a story and you can put little texts over it. And the interface is such that it's very ragtag, you know, it's not polished like Facebook or Instagram. It's very kind of messy. Mm -hmm. So the type of content that people put on there is also messy. Like I find when like, Certain things you'd put on Instagram are like well-composed pictures. Right. What you'd put on Snapchat are pretty much all the pictures that you wouldn't put on Instagram. (laughs) Because it's just like, oh, literally, this is what I'm doing right now. Boom. Snapped it out. Cute Uh little text. Boom. It's out there. It's not even going to last longer than 24 hours. So it allows you to just generate content without the pressure of trying to make it anything. Because it's literally just about the moment. And I think that's why it's so powerful. And it's hard to understand until you're actually in it. Because for me, I didn't get it either. I was like, I don't understand. I just don't get it. Like, why would I want to put stock into something where it only lasts 24 hours? So you just have this naked profile up there unless you put something up. But outside of that, it's just it's nothing like I don't get it. But once I got into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. It's like I can literally just take pictures of anything um, in the moment. And it's. 
I, I don't have to be held to some kind of quality check. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, you're a filmmaker. What's up with that picture? You know, it's not about, it's not about that at all. It's literally right. just about connecting in the moment. And uh, is it anything like Vine at all? Vine is Vine is different. I, I put Vine more in the YouTube category, uh-huh. where you've got you know you. I, I don't have a Vine account. I think Vine works way better with humor. Um, which yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, you don't big... see a lot of people doing like bummer vines. <laughs> no, or like I, maybe some people do infotainment, but I've seen everybody who's flourishing on Vine. It's all humor based. So yeah. I haven't had a, a particular reason to migrate to Vine for that reason. Mine's more infotainment. So it's like, eh, I'll pass on the Vine. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to teach a class in uh, whatever it is, like what, five seconds? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the the thing I would tell any any uh filmmaker now or any creative really to be honest with you any creative is to uh my platform was youtube but you know it doesn't have to be youtube it can be blogging but i would tell anyone um your biggest challenge right now isn't your movie or your painting your biggest challenge is marketing and branding like ever since i got out of film school what i learned the most the, the hard knock school I learned was marketing. That was the, the mammoth that I feel like I spent all of my time doing. I mean, if I could equate the amount of time I spend with my film versus YouTube now, it's like the polar opposite. I spend way more time studying the platform of YouTube. So um, I would tell any filmmaker, uh, your film is great. You know, maybe you're writing your script right now. That's awesome. But what you should really be doing while you're in film school is starting up a YouTube account or a blog and studying. More important than starting that account up, studying other successful bloggers and YouTubers and really breaking down why they are where they are, looking at their my YouTube stories and their growth, studying the numbers, uh, learning the platform, because it takes time to learn the platform. Like I can give you five tips on how to grow your channel, but that's not going to get you anywhere unless you invest the time to really figure out how it works for you and what you're trying to do on it. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. uh, I would tell anybody like get online and start building your audience now, right now. So that by the time you need that audience, they're there. Like I know a 17 year old, he might be 18 right now, 80,000, 80, actually I think he's at 88,000. He hasn't even been to film school yet. <laughs> He had he, when he started, right. he was 15, you know, mm-hmm. but so and he what he's doing is he's learning filmmaking as as he learns it, because obviously, I mean, he's a young he's a young chap, you know, so he hasn't right. made a feature. He hasn't even made a short yet. I think, he, you know, he pretty much made his, you know, uh, childhood, you know, videos, but nothing put together yet, you know. So but what he's doing is he's just taking what he's learning and he's just repackaging it and making compelling online videos sharing what he's learning. And you're like, well, yeah, he's only 18. How much would he know? Okay. Well, yes, he's 18. He doesn't know that much, but think of how many people are out there who are interested in filmmaking, who don't know what he knows. Mm -hmm. They're all going to follow him. So yeah, you can know 10 times what he does, but you're not online. (laughs) You're not, you're not leveraging that content right now. He is, you know, and there's a couple of things I've seen where, you know, he may have tripped up on certain facts or whatever, but it's like, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like he can yeah. fix it later when he learns later. <laughs> right. But he'll be twice as big by the time he learns. You know, it's like it's all about being out there and doing it. 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And the difference with him is even though he doesn't know it all, but he started young enough where he was learning the platform. He was learning what makes a compelling video, how to keep it short and sweet. He was learning seeing what other YouTubers were doing. So he just got better and better and better and better. And that's, I mean, you can't get better if you're not doing it, right? So um, that's what I would tell anybody right now. You need to start it now, not only for your craftsmanship, but also just learning these platforms. So, you know, so it'll be there. You know, the audience will be there. And not to mention, there is so much power in knowing the mechanics of branding and marketing and how to build a community yourself. So you can build it into a part of a lifestyle. Like what I'm doing is a lifestyle. This is not just, okay, oh, I got a, I got a movie coming out, so I need to like build a channel. Or I need to do this to, to get some followers. No, after this movie's done, I will still be doing it. While I'm writing the next movie, I will still be doing it. When I'm shooting the next movie, I will still be. Do- it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, and the sooner you indoctrinate yourself into that concept and realize the power of it, and you learn how to work economically in that space. Hey, when I do this, I cut 30 minutes off my production time. Hey, when I do this, I cut this much time and I streamline my process. And now I know how to use Twitter and I know how to, you know, kind of log my tweets and all ahead of time. So when I need to tweet something, I have a log of it. I'm not sitting there searching the web looking for tweetable stuff, you know. So when you learn how to economize your time and become effective, uh, the sky is the limit. It's literally the limit. I mean, it's a well-oiled machine because you're you're always marketing at that point. You're always marketing. You're always building your brand at that point. Right. So, uh, so I would tell them, you know, learn as soon as you can. Start doing it now, right now, because there's a 15 year old, like, you know, he started 15. Here. He's, he's coming for you before he's 20. <laughs> before he's 21, he's going to be good, yeah. like way good. He'll probably be. 700,000, maybe close to a million subscribers, maybe more. By the time he's 21, he probably would not have even shot a feature yet. He doesn't really need to go to film school or anything. He he won't need festivals. Like, like, yeah, so it's like uh, there's no reason why. You know, you don't have to be the guru. You don't have to be an authority in what you are. You can be somebody learning. All you need to know is just how to create good content. As you're learning it. And you can be honest with people. He's completely honest. I'm just learning. As I'm going, I'm sharing it. You don't have to, you don't have to put on a front like you know everything. People will see right through that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They'll see right through that. But the idea is that if you're the one sharing the knowledge, even if you're just learning it, but if you're the one doing it, they'll follow you. Right. So Yeah, that that's definitely I mean, you've talked about so many important topics just in that, you know, last thing. Um, you know, it is important that, you know, people choose who they want to learn from. So they're going to come back to you over and over again. It's like, there might be a million different videos about what cameras to choose, but they want to learn from that person. They want to see what their perspective is because they kind of develop that relationship. And that's, that's a, a huge thing, you know? So it's not even about being the biggest expert, you know, it's about saying, oh, well, I'm just like you and I can, you know, this is what I've found. You know, I've done some investigation or whatever, and these are the things that I like, and this is what I've learned, you know? Oh, yeah. And then building that uh, that second component, you know, working on that relational connection as well. Because all of those numbers, they're people. 
it's not some you know clip bot. <laughs> like they're, they're they're people. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like if you want somebody to invest in you as a creative and and you want them to care about what you're doing, well, how about you care about them first? Yeah. You know, like when they right. leave a comment, how about you respond to the comment? You know, it's like it seems so simple. It really seems so simple, but yet people don't get it. You know, even with Twitter, you know, you make your Twitter, you make your tweet and then a whole bunch of people tweet you back, but then you don't tweet them back. You know, it's like they're people, man. You know, like you can either be that God off in the pillars, you know, pooping rainbow (laughs) or you can be a real person that they will seek out not only on a creative level, but on a personal level. They're like, oh, man, oh, he's got a crowdfunding. Oh, yeah. Already. Before you even announced, got it all the way out of your mouth, I was was already pulling my wallet out. Because it's like, you've answered tweets, you've answered, you've given me so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the least I could do. Yeah. Not not to mention, people tend to evangelize you when you make yourself available. I mean, I've had people follow me just because I commented back on YouTube. I can't tell you how many times you were like, oh my God, you commented me? (laughs) Subscribe. Like, I can't believe you actually commented back. Like, Wow. I have a lot yeah. of people that go through my comments and see that I actually make an effort to comment back. And then they're like, wow, this is really cool. Like, you not only make good content, but like you took the time to actually comment back, like simple things like that. Um, but again, if you look at it as a giver's gain model, that makes sense, right? Like, why wouldn't I comment back or at least make an honest effort as much as I could to do so? I'm sure if I get bigger, you know, I, That'll be harder and harder, but people will see the effort, though, you know? So Right. Yeah, you know what's really funny, though, is, like, we just finished our um, master class on film sales. And the thing that I see is that the newer generation has completely screwed up everything for all these, uh, you know, film events and film markets and stuff like that because they're starting to shift – and follow what you guys are doing, you know, and follow what the new generation is doing. And they look now for people to have YouTube channels and Facebook followers. I mean, I I was talking to one guy the other day who, you know, was telling me that they won't even look at a film unless it has a Facebook following of like 20,000 people, you know, and it's become kind of backwards uh, engineered so that, you know, all these people that were at one point in charge of doing you know, putting DVDs into stores and and putting stuff on video on demand and all this other stuff are now looking at this generation of YouTubers and people who are, you know, have their own audience that connects directly to them and they're starting to follow them, you know? Yeah. The funny thing about that is I still think they're behind the curveball because (laughs) – so like for instance, they say, well, we don't look at a film unless it's got a Facebook following of 20,000 or whatever, right? You you right. learn very quickly when you start making accounts for things. And I learned this real quick. Like, okay, so I'm building my brand as a creative, but I also have Unsound, which in itself is, it's a film and it's it's a brand. It's offering an experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a Facebook account for that too. And then I got a Twitter account for my, myself. And then I got a Twitter account for Unsound too. And if I do five other movies, am I going to have, Twitter accounts for five other movies and Facebook accounts for five other movies. Like you, you already see where it's going. Mm-hmm. Like 
in order to be effective in the social media space, you need to streamline your efforts. So if you build one moniker or one name and you put everything underneath that name, for instance, Paul makes movies, uh, Paul Osborne, all of his social media is all under one name. Facebook, Paul makes movies. So whatever movie he's doing, you can go to one place and figure out what he's up to. Right. Right. But if you've got five other accounts, like it, it's tough. You're juggling all the time. And not to mention, if you do a huge marketing effort behind one account, push a lot of people to that account. Say you get, you know, 5,000 likes on that movie. Right. But then when you do another movie, it's like you got to go to that account and like entice people to go to this other movie's account. Now, you see what I'm saying? It's just it's so messy. Right. Whereas if you just like for me, how I handle all of my stuff, it's all under D for Darius, the moniker D for Darius. You know, just cut all the other stuff out. My Facebook is Darius J. Britt, but I can't really change that. If I could have changed that to D for Darius a while ago, I would have. Um, <laughs> right. But everything else is all D for Darius. So it's like if you want to know what movie I'm up to or what I'm doing on YouTube, you can go to one place on Facebook and find that out. I don't have to be pulling people from account to account to account to do that. So if a distributor is coming and looking at me and they're saying, well, how many people follow on your movie account? Well, there is no movie account for that. Like this right. is all under a brand right now, you know, like right now unsound on Facebook has, I could tell you the, the likes on it. And I, I stopped pushing unsound on Facebook a, a long time ago. Once I started realizing just how, how wasteful that kind of is, it has 570 likes mm -hmm. on Facebook right now for the movie unsound. But D for Darius or Darius J. Britt, which I do a lot of unsound updates on, you know, all my vlogs that I release on Darius Britt, mm -hmm. I have 5,343 Facebook likes. Right. But that's under me as a brand. So mm -hmm. that's not going to change. You see what I'm saying? Like whatever movie I'm working on, I'm still doing that movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I don't have to play that game. So right. I think, and I think they'll eventually catch on to that too. The problem is a lot of filmmakers, there's a lot of people that make the film and then they get burned so bad they don't get another shot. So it's not like you have a lot of people who get to learn that lesson, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. To be well, honest, it sounds very similar to, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of what John, John Carpenter did. Because all John Carpenter's films are called John Carpenter's, you know, whether it's The Thing or Halloween or whatever. And then um, Tyler Perry does that too. You know, people who always put their name with the the film. You know, so you you just consider it kind of like it's another one of this guy's movies. So that I think that's kind of similar in a way to what you're saying now. Oh, it's it's. I would say, uh, and some people may not agree with me, and that's okay, but. To me, what is way more important than any work that you do is your name. Way more important because your, your movie may be great tomorrow and then the movie after that may suck. And then the movie after that may be okay. And then the movie after that may be great. But if you have a strong name, if you have a branded name where people know you and they seek your work out, your shelf life is going to be twice as long as somebody who's making masterpieces and then they fall off the map, but nobody really knows them. You'll go mm -hmm. twice as far because at least people know you. You see what I'm saying? So 
John, I, I would totally do that. You know, I like put the name first, even if it's a social awareness film, but I'm an artist and I have to survive. <laughs> I, have to, so it, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to take care of you. If you're not, if you can't pay your bills and you can't do any, what good is it to make all these movies if you can't sustainably do it? Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to turn to a crowd and crowdfund at some point. You know, maybe, you know, I mean, that's not, I'm sure eventually you can go beyond that and most people can grow beyond that, but for a lot of us, that's a phase you have to go through, you know, capitalize your projects by turning to your crowd, but there's gotta be a crowd there. So, um, you know, well, can we talk about that for just a little bit? Can you give, um, your perspective on the, the crowdfunding game as it is? Uh, same thing. It's pretty much the same thing. You have to have a crowd to turn to and you need to be, if you live the marketing lifestyle, and you learn to make cultivating an audience a part of your creative process. So whatever project you're doing, you're blogging about it, you're giving how-to tips, or you're creating, you know, maybe you don't want to do any how-to stuff or any, you know, here's a life of a person stuff. Maybe you just want to make entertainment, but you also need to, to make that effective. Whatever you choose to do, it needs to be effective. But if you spend the time to make that a part of your lifestyle so that you were always building an audience, then when you do need to crowdfund, they're already there. So basically all of these things, they all orbit around the same planet. The filmmaker needs to change their approach of what they do. They need to embrace being a creative entrepreneur, not just a creative. When you live the marketing lifestyle, that's entrepreneurial right there. That's not, I mean, put it this way. Did we learn that in film school? No. <laughs> How do you use social media accounts? I'd be lucky if my teacher said Twitter once. So um, when you embrace right. the fact that, you know, marketing is a large part of what you're doing. And if you make it a part of your lifestyle, guess what? It's a lot cheaper if you make it a part of your lifestyle because it's about that jog. It's about nipping away at it piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. But at an affordable way, because, I mean, it doesn't cost me much to generate my content online. And that's what got me all my followers is that. I mean, most of the videos are all free. It's just me doing my thing in a room talking with a camera. That was free. And that's gotten me to pretty much 60,000 subscribers. But my film that I dumped a ton of money into, man, it's like moving a rock uphill. Had it not been for, <laughs> had it not been for YouTube, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I would be in a very different situation right now had it not been for YouTube and just really taking the bull by the horns on just building a connection with people and putting that first. Again, putting your name first, not your creative work. So if I, w- if I was all about my creative work first, guess what I wouldn't be doing? I wouldn't be making how-to tips on how to do lighting or how to do sound or how to talk to actors. I wouldn't be doing that because it's all about the work. That's not my movie. You see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? It would all be wrapped around my movie. But since I'm putting my name first, that opens me up to do a million other things. I can talk about stuff that has nothing to do with my movie because it's about my name. You see what I'm saying? Like filmmaking, uh, screenwriting, social media. I can get into all kinds of other avenues because it's about building the name. Mm -hmm. And once you build your name up, anything you're associated with gets brought up, too. It's like it's like a tent pole, you know, like you need the tent before you can hold anything else up. You got to be up there, too. So. um, So, yeah, if you if you live that lifestyle and you take it bit by bit, 
you you make it a part of your process, then when you need to self-distribute or when you need to do a crowdfunding campaign or when you need to do a push for, you know, building up certain numbers or certain stats on different accounts, it's all there for you because you've been working at it the whole time. So uh, whereas, you know, if you don't do that, then you're stuck doing the old way, which is throw a lot of money at it. Mm-hmm. No, let's do run a whole bunch of Facebook ads or YouTube ads, which are horribly ineffective. I would never probably spend money. on <laughs> You're pretty much you're hurting yourself by doing YouTube ads, actually. Same same with Facebook ads to a certain extent, depending on what you're trying to market. You could definitely hurt your numbers. Like I'm probably never run Facebook ads to increase likes on any of my film stuff because you end up with a lot of basically glorified click farm situations which hurt the algorithm in the, in the, uh, the metrics. So they're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, the more likes you get because pretty much you paid for them, but then you're not getting engagement on any of your posts. So Facebook's like, oh, well, this guy's content's not doing so hot, so we're not going to put him out there. So that ends up hurting you. So, uh, so yeah, um, in the online space, like it's really about making that micro content work and getting yourself out there, and it's way cheaper. And as filmmakers, guess what we don't have a lot of? We don't have a lot of money, right? Or at least we don't have, we don't have that. So, so it behooves you to learn how to do it for free and for cheap, which is basically building it slowly, but surely, but consistently is the big thing. And also whatever medium you choose, you need to pick, you need to do it sustainably. This is another big mistake I see uh, a lot of people make. So Joe Blow wants to start a YouTube channel. And he wants it to be based on short films. So he wants to crank out a short film every month or every couple of weeks or every week with skits or whatever. You know how tough it is to to work other people's schedules out and get everybody in the same room or in the same location to shoot anything. Not to mention how long it takes to do After Effects stuff, if you're going to do that. It's It's such a resource intensive thing to make short films that it's... it's it's not a good idea to base your channel on that because the second schedules fall through and now, oh man, we're, well, this short was supposed to be done, but like we're running three weeks behind. Well, guess what? You're not consistent now. So when people check in on you, stuff's not coming out, they're not following you. You know, you can't keep that constant contact going. Mm -hmm. Not to mention that's that's resource intensive. So you're always spending money to do it and you're always orchestrating schedules to do it. That's exhausting. That's not sustainable. You know, whereas mm-hmm. if you you need to build a model that is sustainable for you. So for me, there's a reason why when you go on my YouTube channel, most of the, the videos are me in a room talking. Yeah, I could go out and shoot short films if I wanted to. But guess what? I got jobs. I got to make money. Mm-hmm. I got other gigs. You know what I mean? That's like that's not sustainable for me. Now, maybe later on down the road, once I'm able to parlay everything into a solid effort and I'm making enough money to should do just this, then sure. Yeah, maybe I'll crank out more short films more often in between features or whatever. But right now, real life, real life takes precedence. So, um, so I, I built the model for my channel around reducing as much dependence on other factors as possible. So I don't need to go get actors. I just need me. I just write my script out, you know, me in a room and a camera. That's it. So if I'm running behind, well, I only, I only got three factors, right? I mean, unless my brain is cooked and I can't write a script, I mean, more than likely I can write a script, but there are less points of failure for me. So I can stay consistent because it's sustainable. 
Mm-hmm. And I would say that for anybody who's trying to get a content strategy for leveraging micro, you need to think about sustainability. Too many people try to do too much and then they can't keep the effort up. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, so, yeah. And I still am looking for ways to make it even more streamlined all the time. Like what else, what other format can I use to make it even simpler for me? Because, you know, I get little hiccup moments where I have a lot of other gigs going on and it's hard to find time to, to get in the YouTube space and do it, you know? And I've been fortunate enough where I can stay on top of it for the most part. I, I mean, I, I stay on top of it pretty, pretty thoroughly, but, but it, had I not been thinking of that ahead of time, I could have really, you know, messed myself up. Cause the thing you don't want to do is place an expectation in your audience's mind of a certain level of video and then go below that. <laughs> right, you see what okay. I'm saying? Like if I yeah. prime you for Hollywood after effects videos or whatever, and then I can't do that. So then I start releasing these talk to you, talk to the camera videos. They're going to be like WTF, man, like get back to, you know, the shorts. Like this is not why I subscribe. You know, I, I was looking for this, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's what you don't want to do. You'd write, I, it's way better to be in a situation where you prime them to expect something a little more streamlined and sustainable for you. And then when you do do the bigger projects, then it's a bonus then. Oh, cool. We're getting to see this. Now you said it's a bonus. It only adds to you then. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that's a huge one. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day. Uh, they wanted to do a YouTube channel and uh, you know, they started off trying to do this big production, raise all this money and shoot 14 episodes. It was like $300,000 or whatever. And I was like, all right, look, <laughs> first <laughs> off, like, consistency should be number one. You need to find a way to do what you're doing consistently Two, You need to cut all these other resources out and streamline it because you're going to be beholding to all of these other factors. And if you can't keep that up, guess what else goes down the toilet? Your online presence. You don't want to set people up to expect something that you can't sustainably carry through on. So now that's gone. But if you set it up where all you, all you need is you and a camera, you're good. So even if other things fall through, well, you can still just hop in front of that camera and crank out content. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can do this till the cows come home. That's what's so beautiful. Like, tit, like there is no shelf life for that for me. I can't age out of this. I can pivot, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to age out of this. So 20 years from now, I can still do this. I don't need to go to a producer or I don't need to find money to do what I'm doing. And that's the beauty of it. You know, <laughs> like I, could, I don't know. I'm just really excited about it. I think, to be honest, like that, that's the writing on the wall. And it's not even new. It's here. It's here mm-hmm. right now. YouTubers are doing it right now. Yep. It's just you're not hearing about all the, the successes they're having because they don't need to rely on print media to get the word out. They're selling right. movies right now. They're making money right now making feature films and selling them directly to their audience and making money and placing on iTunes right now. But we're not hearing about that. Cause they who are the people that you would say, now. who are the, the people like when you say that, who, who do you have in mind with like, like things? Han- that- Hannah Hart, uh, Grace Helbig, they did a collaboration, shot a movie, released it. There are YouTubers monetizing short films, believe it or not. Uh, 
video packages being monetized. Uh, there's a couple of movies. I can't remember the other. There's like two other movies that were feature films that they made and just sold directly to their audience. Um, and they're doing fine. And, the, and here's the other kicker about it. So the problem with the old model of marketing is it costs money, right? And, you know, with, outside of the money, if you don't have the money, you're done. But when you have a blog or a YouTube channel, you can point your audience in the direction of the products you make in perpetuity. When I release on sound and I'm selling, you know, DVDs, Blu-rays or whatever, I can continually point people to that movie five years from now. As I get bigger, I can still point, I can still mention it because I have the eyeballs. I don't have to go through anybody else to get the eyeballs. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. And more people are still going to find me. So even if I don't make that house nut back or whatever, right off the top, eventually you're going to make it back because you're still generating eyeballs. So, you know, 10 years from now, I can still be selling that movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. whereas the old model, it's like, you know, once you're out of money, it's like, oh man, okay, well, I mean, it's time to just move on to something else. And once you don't, and on top of that, you have no other way of reaching your fans or audience for that matter. So it's like you move on to another project and that's it. You have no way of still selling your old project because you have no micro content strategy to reach people. It's just your projects and that's it. And your new project, you can't sell your old project with your new project. Hopefully, you know, maybe you make a big splash and people Google you and then they're like, oh, well, let me check his old movie out. Let me try that. But most of the time, I mean, that's not I mean, that's not something you want to rely on. You want to have a way to push that. You know, you'll get 10 times further if you can literally say, hey, by the way, you can check this out. Here's a T-shirt. You know, you want to be able to tell them directly. And if you have a micro content strategy where you can build your audience and your community, that power comes with it. You can point people anywhere, you know, or if you're doing consulting, same thing. You can point it right at it. Hey, by the way, if you're looking for service, like you can sell, you can sell when you have a micro content strategy. When you have a branding strategy. So uh, when you have followers. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another, that's another huge thing. So, uh, you know, when you build a body of work, I feel like if you have a branding strategy and a marketing strategy and you have a micro content uh, clothing line to hang all of your projects on. If you have a backbone of a, you know, basically a brand with a strong, solid content strategy that's sustainable, man, it's like just thinking about the possibilities to just boggle my mind. It's like, mm-hmm. like as a creative, that's so much power. That is a lot of power, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you can pretty much become your own little studio. People are doing product placement deals, getting money for short films from companies. That's a studio right there. You know, I go go down the street to a mom and pop chat. Hey, if you give me this much money, I'll feature your chips in the short film. We'll take care of you. You know what I mean? I can <laughs> I can guarantee you this many views. You can look at my numbers. I'm not selling you on a wish. I got stats, baby. You know? <laughs> That's a studio right there. Yeah. People, I mean, people like numbers, you know, they love numbers. They, they find you when you have numbers, believe me. (laughs) 
they reach out because they're like, oh, man, it's something smelling good over here, man. Let's talk to this guy over here. You know, we, we, we don't got to coach him through nothing. You know, it's like we can see he's got it going on or she or she, whoever. Like, we can see it. We don't have yeah. to guess nothing. You know, they don't mind throwing a little money your way when it seems like you know how to generate it without the money on top of that. So, um, so yeah, like that, that's not a far off, uh, prospect either, you know, becoming your own little studio and working product placement, especially with a strong brand, you know, uh, I mean, it, every, everything is easier with a brand, basically everything, in my opinion, everything is easier with a brand. So artists need to really be focusing on, and I know some of them, they hate the term brand, you know, oh my God, this is my, okay, build your name. You want to sell a painting? Make sure people know your name. If you want to look at it that way, you know, but everything is easier when you have a name. Yeah. I think when you tell people about branding, their first thought is like kind of used car salesman. And then you, you say, you know, Salvador Dali is a brand. Ernest Hemingway is a brand. It's like you you think about them in, in that or Steven Spielberg or or whoever, you know. Those are all, you know, brands. Yeah, they're personal brands, creative yeah, brands. Exactly. And the, there's a I think people get marketing and branding con- confused too. So there's there's sort of a difference between marketing and branding. So branding is an umbrella. It includes a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Branding you can do when you don't have something to sell. Whereas marketing, you have to have something to sell. I think the easiest way to look at it is uh, when you market something, you're selling something, you know, whether it's discounts or whatever, whatever you need to do to get somebody to buy something, that's marketing. But branding happens before you have something to sell. It happens while you're selling it. And branding is what's left over after you sold it. So if that used car salesman, you go and you buy a car, but the car is a lemon. Well, guess what? His brand is going down the toilet. Because I'm not going to buy a car from him again. Mm-hmm. His marketing worked, but his branding did not. You see what I'm saying? So what's yeah. left over after I bought it is a bad taste in my mouth and a lemon car. I don't want nothing to do with that guy now. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But if he, But then he could salvage his brand, though. After he sold me that car. So if I were to contact him and say, yeah, the car is a lemon, you screwed me over. But then he's like, okay, well, you know what I'll do? I'll do this. I'll do that. I'm sorry to hear that. We'll take care of you. Well, guess what? Now his brand's a lot stronger. He made a mistake, but he rectified it. So now that my rapport with him is good. He didn't make any additional money off me now, right? He didn't sell me anything else beyond that. So that move he made after he already made his cash, that was a branding move. The way his relationship with me is, that's branding. So now I can go and evangelize his name because it's like, man, I bought a car. I thought I was done. I told him and he fixed it. He took care of me. Now his brand is strong, you know? So Mm -hmm. with artists, I think they really need to embrace the fact that uh, when you talk branding, that is a lifestyle. That should always be going on because you can be building your brand even when you have nothing to sell. Mm -hmm. Like what I'm doing on YouTube, I'm building my brand, but I'm not selling anything. Well, if anything, I'm just selling myself, I guess, and sharing information. But I'm not like pushing anything to an audience for a transaction. But that is branding. You see what I'm saying? That's not you're marketing yourself. Yeah, but that's branding. I'm mm. I'm giving them an experience. I'm giving them value. And it's not related to selling anything. But 
when I have the movie to push or whatever, and now we're getting into like pretty much straightforward marketing. So I think when people kind of realize there's a distinction there and branding mm-hmm. can be very personal. When you build your personal brand, that can be a very personal thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I always have to like push my products on them. No, that's marketing. If you mm-hmm. look at branding, it can be just sharing a tweet that has nothing to do with anything. You know, just, hey, maybe this will pick your day up. That's branding. When I scroll through my Twitter feed and Paul makes movies, talks about when he went to Italy with his son and they did this, that's branding. Even though he's being relational and he's just talking about what he's doing in life, but that's branding because now I get to know Paul a little bit better. Right. right. He's not selling me anything, but that is a branding move there. He's giving mm-hmm. me a certain expectation of a certain experience from him. I can expect movies, but I can also expect him to just be a human being. You know, a guy who's yeah. like I could go get a beer with, right? So um so yeah, I think uh I hope that made sense. That that wasn't confusing the way I explained it. I hope not. Well, it's I mean it's a comp- confusing topic. You know, so oh. I think you're 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 only helping, <laughs> you know, make it more clear. But I mean, when you think about the brands that you know, uh, you know, I, typically we think of I think logos and you know like Nike and Starbucks and all these other brands that are all around us. But if you if you dig a little bit deeper, it's like what do those things? You know, the Nike swoosh doesn't mean anything, but it, we associate it with a lot of things. You know, and that's the branding is like the the connection we have with certain things and it, it can be anything, you know? Yeah. It can. It's almost like a theme in a movie too. If you think about it, like a movie can be, you know, the plotting and everything that you see, but the theme is more about what the movie represents and that's more universal. And yeah. when you talk about a brand, that's a lot to do with a brand is what is the universal thing that you represent? And me as a YouTuber and as a filmmaker, I represent empowerment. I want to empower other filmmakers. And I also want to show them that you can do it, too. And also, as an African-American filmmaker, I want to show other minorities, hey, you can do it, too. I want to be an inspiration for you, too. Now, even though I'm not saying that directly in every one of my videos, but the value that I'm giving makes that obvious. Mm -hmm. So you can say that's a theme for my content strategy, even though when you look at my content, I'm not saying any of that. But the theme is there. I represent you can do it, too. We can all do it too. Fresh out of film school, dropped a lot of money on a movie. Here I am, you know, like (laughs) let's do this together, you know, but, um, so, but it's clear what I represent right Mm -hmm. now, you know? Um, and that's the same for any other creative out there is I think, uh, that that's also getting in terms of like, basically what value are you offering people? Uh, it's kind of that question, you know, when you're talking about your brand, it's, or your branding strategy, it's not just uh, reaching out to people, but it's like reaching out for what, what are you giving them? Why should they follow you? What experience are you giving them? You know, are you just going to retweet a million other people's tweets and not generate any content of your own? Or are you going to generate your own content that they can't find anywhere else? And what is that content? What's the message behind it? There are some people out there that they have a, you know, they've got a brand, but it's a very negative brand. Like there's some people, all they do is rant on YouTube, but guess what? They bring back a lot of negativity too. So it's like branding is not just building your name, but for what, for who, what's the value? What's the experience you're giving? What's your reputation? You know, Apple is, Apple's kind of associated with quality. Uh, 
Whereas, uh, you know, like a used car salesman who's a schmuck, well, his reputation is going to be he'll sell you anything to get your money. He'll sell, you know, snow to an Eskimo. He's just after the after the money, you know. Well, OK, well, that's his value. That's what he's offering me. I don't want anything to do with that, though. But, you know, <laughs> you know what's funny to me is like all these different um, YouTube channels who, that have sprung up that are people like, for example, it'll be a guy just watching a trailer. And that's the whole thing and experiencing that and how we've kind of changed as a culture that that's like people are connecting to things by watching other people experience something like that, you know, and now you've seen all these other people start having videos of people just watching like the Star Wars, you know, trailer and stuff like that. So there's a huge value in there. Now you get kind of into the X factor of YouTube, which I think is pretty much the X factor of anything. And that's if somebody has a watchability to them. When you talk about YouTube, you're talking about a platform that was literally founded on a guy who could turn his camera on when he goes to the grocery store and just talks about whatever he's doing. It was founded on amateur vlogging, pretty much. Hey, here's a platform where you could just make a video and upload it. About what? I don't know. I mean, but you can do it. So you have a whole sea of people who are just like, okay, cool. I'll just turn this camera on and just do whatever I feel like doing. So, uh, the relational connection that people make is very much, hey, uh, I like you. You're cool to watch. I just like listening to you talk about stuff. You know, it's just that X factor. Are you watchable? Are you somebody who I could just spend five minutes watch talk about nothing? You know, or what bothers you or what annoyed you today on your way to this store? You know, like, so when you see examples like that with people who watch trailers and all that for every one person you see who can pull that off there are thousands of people who could not pull that off so (laughs) so i always feel bad when there's like the guy who's got you know who's doing the same thing as the guy in the video above him and the one guy has like a million views and the other guy's got like three views and i'm like oh you know i'll I'll view your video you know there's some other writing on the wall that you you don't see too. And that's the guy who pulls all those views, who seems to be doing very easy things. But most of the time, uh, these YouTubers who are raking in the big numbers and all that, they are combing and studying the platform. So if you look at their channel and you try to do what they're doing, you see the writing on the wall, like, Oh wow. Like what they're doing is very smart. Like they're not make, they're not just cranking videos. There's a strategy there. You know, some of these YouTubers, especially the fashion, you know, industry ones in the movie, like they have a timetable. You know, they have to be the first person to put out a review or whatever on it before anybody else does. They got to be able to crank it out and it's got to be quality. And like there's a lot of stress there, Mm -hmm. whereas people who don't understand how the platform works, they might just be like, oh, this person just made a makeup review on this thing. So I could just do that. And they see the upload date and it's just some arbitrary upload date. They don't know that, well, that makeup thing was released two days ago or a day ago. And then their video came out the next day. That's mm-hmm. what you don't see. So they raked in on all of those views because they were the first person to be talking about it the second people were looking for it. So there's things like that that, you know, if you're not looking for how the platform works and studying it, you're not going to see that. So to you, it's like, oh, they could just talk about nothing and look at all the views they got. Yeah, you're not seeing the strategy. You're not seeing the knowledge of, you know, understanding how to make these things work for you. It, so you know, 
you, you see what I'm saying? Like there's more to it than just cranking out videos, mm-hmm. you know? Right. It's the same thing for the filmmaking tips thing. I, like I learned the hard way. You need to build a foundation of entry-level videos for people to access you. Then you can branch off into the more complex, complicated topics. Mm-hmm. Once you have the entry-level foundation made and laid first, so then they can find you and then you can lead them off into other places they did not even know they wanted to go. But right. you can't do that if they can't find you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things like that that need to be understood. And again, harkens back to that conversation with the filmmaker. It's like, hey, if you're in film school, what you need to be spending a lot of your time on is learning how to be an effective blogger, you know, or learn how to be an effective YouTuber. You need to spend a lot of time on that because um, it's very empowering. And in terms of, you know, marketing and branding, like there's nothing more powerful than that right now, to be honest with you. This short of just having billions of dollars to just plaster your name everywhere, maybe. Maybe that's more powerful. I don't know, but, you know. (laughs) Well, that's the old school way. Yeah, in terms of not having any money, which is everybody's problem, you know what I mean? Like that that needs to be first and foremost, because then all your little short films you make, all the little projects you do, you can be building your audience the whole time. Going to sleep, I go to sleep, I wake up, I got 50 more subscribers. Mm-hmm. Like once you get that machine working for you, it's like interest on money, you know, like once you get that money put away and you've built it up and you get that snowball rolling after a while, it, it rolls itself almost. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the same thing for having an online presence. you got to build up a content catalog. you got to build up your name. you got to build up your strategy. you got to build up your own workflow so that you can be efficient at it and make it easier on yourself. But that's something you got to work at, you know, and get better at. There is no, I press a button, I just got to make this one video and it goes viral. Oh, don't even get me started on viral. (laughs) I kind of want to get you, I want to get you a little started on viral. So just give me, tell me what you think. Viral is not a strategy. You cannot build, you can't build a model around viral. You know, now you can build a model around solid content and understanding how to get yourself found. And then should a semi-viral video come out of that? Great. But you can't plan on viral and there's way too many people who just think they have a viral web series concept or a viral video idea or whatever and it's just going to get them out there that's erroneous as all hell and another big thing about it is yeah if you did have a viral video awesome but guess what people don't subscribe to viral they subscribe to a catalog of content so if you had one viral video and two other videos that got like 12 views they're not going to subscribe to you they're going to be like, this one thing you made was great, but the, the, all the other stuff, eh, I'll pass. There's nothing else to watch. There's no reason to subscribe. I already saw what you had to offer. That's it. But if you have a semi-viral video or a viral video, if you just get you know out of this world lucky later on, but you have a catalog of content to hook them where they saw that one video and then they go down the rabbit hole and you got like 40 other videos and they just get lost watching you for like two days. That that's a strategy. So, uh, yeah, viral, viral is not a strategy. And uh, I see way too many people trying to bank, bank on viral. Like, 
You can't make a living off viral, even if you're relying on AdSense or something like you can't you you can't make a living off of viral, you know, nor can you reproduce it. That's like saying every film I make is going to get in a Sundance. I mean, how unpredictable, like, you know, I can't bank on Sun. Oh, I'm going to make this movie and it's going to get into Sundance. Guess how many people's dreams have been crushed operating on that (laughs) model, right? Not to mention trying to reproduce that. It's just unrealistic, completely unrealistic. Yeah. And that's a very direct, that's a direct parallel. That's like trying to just, oh, I'm going to make a movie, get a Sundance. Okay. <laughs> right? Like you have a better, <laughs> you honestly have a better chance of winning the lottery than getting into Sundance. If you have no names, you pretty much have a better chance of winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you really look at the numbers, I, I did a video just breaking down like the numbers and what you're actually competing with. It's, I don't know how I, <laughs> I honestly don't know how I even considered that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even look at that as like a possibility. You know, when I'm, when I'm going through like the marketing plan for a film, it's just so completely remote, especially now, you know? Yeah. Well, there's way more to it than there's way more to it than uh it, Sundance is a marketplace. Those top tier mm-hmm. fests, they're marketplaces with brands to protect. So everybody moans about, oh, they cover Paris Hilton when she walked down the street. But yet there's this little film playing there. They didn't get no press. Okay. But they need buzz, period. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. Like, buzz launches careers, not films. You need a good film to get the buzz, yes. But there are a lot of great films that don't get buzz. So they're not, they're not mutually, you know, synonymous and there are bad films that get buzz and careers get launched. So it's the buzz that launches you Tarantino. What launched him was the buzz. Yes. He's very talented, but reservoir dogs and you know, like that could have came out and not garnered the talk that it had. You see what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the buzz and the people talking that gets you launched, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not discrediting a good movie. You have, you, yes, make the best movie you can. Like, but it's not the movie that's going to get you there. Like there are droves of great films out there right now that did not get buzzed, but you'd be like, man, this is a really good film. Like how come, like what happened? Like they played Sundance, but then they just fell off the map. Like nothing happened. Yeah. Well, cause they didn't get any buzz, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you're yeah, you see that a lot. I've, I've I've actually talked with some filmmakers and they, you know, I watched their films and I was like, wow, you know, this was really good. I don't know why. Why didn't I ever hear about it? You know, I just happened to, to click on it on Netflix or something and, and I got in touch with them um, to do interviews. And I, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I'm surprised that this isn't on like everybody's top 10 list for last year because this was an amazing movie. And they just like the marketing just never kicked in. I guess what happens with a lot of these films is. They, you know, they sell them to, well, I mean, in the first place, a lot of these films aren't made by the director. They're made by a producer and a production company and they don't, you know, they don't really have anything to do with it. But, you know, it just amazes me how, you know, these movies just like disappear. And there's all these horrible movies that are like, well, you know, marketed and people know about them and everything. And just like, you know, hundreds of movies go under the map all, you know, every single year. It's about that. It's about that buzz, man. Um, it's important. And, and that kind of goes back to that big question uh, of what 
nowadays, in order to survive and to thrive as a creative, you can't just be a creative anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to be a creative entrepreneur to thrive. Yes, there will be those rare cases where some people punch through using the old model. Yeah, that'll always be around. But guess what? You cannot rely on that or else you'll just end up in the sea of people who are not making it and not thriving. For every one person who makes it during using the old model, there's like hundreds of thousands of people who didn't get anywhere trying to do that. So you can't bank on that. But what you can bank on is taking the keys to the car and driving yourself around, you know, Mm -hmm. like you can bank on building up your foundation of knowledge on how to market yourself, how to brand yourself, how to use micro content, how to leverage micro content online to get yourself found. You can bank on that. As much time as you spend learning that it will repay you back in spades. I mean, it's not that hard to, it's really not that hard to figure out. I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh yeah, it took me so many years to do this and oh man, yeah, I really cracked that one. Good luck finding it because I found it. I'm not sharing it. No, I'll share everything because it's, it's not that hard to, to figure it out. The hard part is doing it and being consistent, you know, but once you see the rewards, that's even easy. You're like, oh man, like, man, I want to do this more. You know what I mean? Like, wow, like I'm reaching people who I've never met before, but but you can bank on that. That's a skill set that you can bank on, mm. you know? Um, and once you have that skill set, it's only a matter of time before you punch through. It's only a matter of time, even if it's a slow start. You know, like my first first year on YouTube, it took a year to get 5,000. And then the next year, my second year, Mark, I was at 50. But like once you roll that snowman, you know, once you roll that snowball, and get it working for you and you get better at it too. You're always learning, you know, mm-hmm. that you can bank on. You can bet the farm on that. Cause even if it takes you a while to find out what works for you specifically, you know, cause not everybody's different. Everybody's going to have their own model and things they like to do and not like to do. And there's a lot of experimentation with it too. You know, I'm always experimenting on my platforms. Figuring out, Hey, I haven't tried this tweet out or I haven't tried this. Or maybe if I release quotes at this, you know, you're always experimenting, but you get better at it the more that you do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But, you know, once you do it, it's so empowering because you don't have to rely on anybody else, man. And time is on your side at that point because as time goes on, you're only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas with the old model, time is against you. As soon as you're hot, you got to have something else going on or else you fall off the map. Or if you're away for too long, you fall off the map. Time's working against you there because you're not prolific. You know, you, you come out for a little while with this big project and then you go away. So you got to come out real soon or else you cool down and people forget about you. But when you live the marketing lifestyle and you understand how to leverage micro content and you spend time doing that and you build that foundation for yourself and for your creative efforts time is on your side then because as time goes you're only going to be making more content you're staying prolific even if it's not these big projects back to back or whatever but the micro projects are going to get you just as far if not further because there's a strategy behind it remember it's like okay oh if i make this here and i know that i can get this traffic i make this i can get this track you're planting seeds all the time 
Mm-hmm. So time is on your side. You know, you're only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so, so yeah, that's way more bankable. And that's something, uh, it's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's the, the, the other part. It's, it's free, you know? So, yeah. Let me, uh, let me ask you, you know, we're, we're, um, coming up on an hour and 40, so I, I want to respect your time. Um, even though I probably haven't, <laughs> um, what what is your current like knowing what you know now um what is the current status of unsound what what are you doing with that now uh i'm still figuring out the best way to release it right now and it's been this way for a while uh i i am more inclined to release it for free on youtube on my channel where it's under my control and i can use it as a branding effort to build and foster more community for filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um, Because to be honest, if I were to throw up a paywall, yeah, I'd probably make some cash, you know, but I don't think I would recoup everything we've spent on it. And I think it would be a horrible oversight in terms of branding. Because remember, your name is way more important than your creative works. What I do now has got to foster and lay the groundwork for the next projects and the next projects. So if releasing something for free is going to put me in a way better position later on down the line, I'm way more apt to do that because it's doing free stuff that's got me where I am right now. So that's not to say I'm not going to monetize on sound. I am. But right now, the strategy is to release it on YouTube for free, do a huge campaign behind it. Um, and I will probably do Facebook ads on that because I'm not trying to ask people to like the page. I'm just trying to guide them to see the movie for free. And I'll probably get a hold of every mental health community across America, over other countries, spend a lot of time pushing it, literally, because I can push it for free. I can't push it if there's a paywall mm-hmm. in the way that I want to push it, you know, right. um, and try to get a huge grassroots movement behind it and collect that viewership Um and we're still going to sell like Blu-rays and maybe other ancillary products. I'm still going to probably set other price points. You know, maybe you can talk to the filmmakers for this amount of money or whatever, you know, because you do need to cover those bases. But if I get a, a huge viewership with no paywall, the conversion is still the same. I'm still getting the one to 3% conversion as far as transactions are concerned. So if I get 10 million people to see Unsound over the course of three three years, that 1-2% conversion is still there. Whereas if I got the paywall up, you see what I'm saying? And I'm only able to really reach so many people mm-hmm. because I've got that paywall up. Right. And, and I'm only getting – I'd rather get 1-2% to of you know transactions off 4 or 5 million impressions of seeing a free movie – and getting hooked up for one, seeing a free free movie that's good, you know what I mean? Right. I would rather bank on that than throwing up a paywall and only getting like you know, like seven hundred transactions. Yeah. You know, and plus in terms of branding and building your name and community and all of that, I can go way further if it's free because I can engage my audience. Mm-hmm. You know, I can answer comments. I can do all of that. Build that personal connection with them, that relational connection with them. I can do that if it's free. I can't do that with paywalls as well. 
And plus, if you were to see it and you like it, guess what you could do? You could just email your brother a link. Boom. Hey, I saw this movie. It's great. It's about what we go through. Oh, man, you got to see this. Boom. Now he can see it in Texas. Everybody can see it all at the same time, you know? So it's just there's way more, way more flexibility, way more power. And, and the conversion rate is still the same. Not to mention, if I throw the paywall up, right, and then, uh, you know, people get it, guess what's going to happen anyway? Torrents. It's going to happen anyway. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't fight it. Like, it's going to happen. People tell me now, they're like, oh, I saw the trailer. I'll be honest. I, I looked and tried to see if I could find a torrent. Like, there's no way. To, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. They, they tell you. I, I, I can't tell you how many people say, oh, yeah. I'll be honest. I looked for a torrent. Couldn't find it. When's it coming out? You know? So it's like, <laughs> they're going to get it for free anyway, man. They're yeah. going to get it anyway. So I would rather make the play to build the connection with them so that if they buy into me as a creative they'll want to give just to support me at that point. That's kind of like falling into the Louis CK model. Now it's like people want to support good work and people that they are vested in. So if I spend more time working on that relationship with my audience, as opposed to the transactional benefit of them, then the Mm -hmm. transactional will come anyways. Because people will donate just because they want to support you at that point. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, so to me, that's a much better play. And, of course, I, I have the advantage that I've kind of built what I've built so far. So it gives me that option. But even if I hadn't done that, looking long term, having it up there for free is still going to be way. Because it's still going to garner more views and views beget more views, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like it, the more views it gets, the more views it's got. It, like, it will become, you know, it will get its own place where where people will know about it. I'll just put it that way. And it's very niche, too, with the mental health community. And I know that we hit that pretty hard. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears to make sure we cross every T and dotted every I. So um, I made sure that it's good. You know, I know that it's good. Right. So now it's just about getting it to where it needs to be getting it to the audience that it serves. And I want it to be a, a, I want it to become a bedrock of the mental health community. And if I release it for free, I can do that where it's like, we can show it everywhere. They'll still want to buy a DVD or Blu-ray just to own it and have a quality version of it. Like the, the communities would still buy it when you're talking organizations and stuff, they'd still want to buy it, you know? So I don't think I'm sacrificing you know, my stake as, as far as sustainability, if anything, I'm bolstering it because it's a long-term play that we're making. It's not the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we're selling other things at other price points probably when we do it. So, uh, do you, did you do like behind the scenes and stuff like that? Oh yeah. Probably do behind the scenes. Where are they now? All that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other things that I'm going to be, uh, advertising with it are myself as a brand, you know, like, by then I'm probably going to have the consulting up. So um, that's something else kind of like what Scott was talking about, where um, we have to change the way we view our films. Uh, and this is not the first time I've, I've heard about it from a number of other people, some in the music community too, or they were saying, you know, the smart people, they make music to sell stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't make music to make music. They make music to generate business. Because with the business, they can afford to make more music. And it's the same with filmmaking. It's like if you look at your films as a way to generate business, 
then you can afford to make more films. You can be sustainable. But if you don't think of it in those terms, you don't think of it as an entrepreneurial venture where you need to make income, then you're not going to make any income. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, <laughs> that's it. I mean, it was a spin a good run, guys. You know, it was a couple, uh, hope you had fun. Uh, we'll be paying this debt back for the next, you know what I mean? Like if you're not thinking of how to monetize what you're doing or at least how to build a better position in terms of branding where you can at least monetize your brand because even after Unsound is uh, out and, you know, we're still monetizing what we can for that because it, it will be monetized. Even though we're releasing it for free, it will be monetized though. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Just not the initial free seeing of it, but I can monetize myself as a creative because if it does well, and I'm saying, hey, I'm offering script consultation for feature film scripts. I've already vetted myself online as far as understanding that stuff. You know what I mean? But to have Mm -hmm. a body of work that supports that, I know what I'm talking about. Aside from the vlogs with film festivals, people would pay for that. So because of that, I can monetize other things that are not directly the movie, too. You see what I'm saying? So I think as artists, we need to realize that, I mean, Hollywood's doing it. It's no secret. You know, the the toys they're selling, all that is not a secret. Like, yeah, the movies at that level there. Yes, their movies make money, but they make 10 times more on everything else. And all the license and merchandise, that's where they really make the money, you know? So... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, as creatives, I think we really got to start looking at it in those terms. Um, selling ebooks, you know, anything like, but <laughs> yeah, it, like, seriously, like you can make a lot of money if you if you think outside the box and view your film as a way to open the door to the store. You know, mm-hmm. Like your film is not the store. It it opens the door to the store. Like you've got to have other stuff to sell, you know, Um, or else it's just not sustainable. I mean, once you sell the film and that's all you're selling, well, after that's done selling, I mean, that's it. You got no other transactional power. There's nothing else you're offering. But if you've got other things at other price points and you have a brand and you're monetizing that brand and you're, you know, now that's sustainable. Now you've got some transactional power. You've got volume now. You know, there's other things that you're moving aside from just the film. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's one of the the really amazing things I got out of Scott. We did an interview for the um, the master class we did, and um, you know, Scott and I were talking, and and he's he's got a really good presentation on um, marketing and film marketing and. Uh, there was a point in the the conversation where he just kind of blew my mind <laughs> and it was one of these ted talk moments and uh the basic idea was you know he was talking about how um a cup of coffee costs like you know uh 4 bucks and people have the expect and you know how much money went into creating a cup of coffee you know probably a, a couple cents or or like a, a shoe or something you know and then you look at a movie and you have the same price point expectation of what a movie is supposed to cost. And now it's gotten to the point where, oh, a movie costs about four bucks, maybe more or less, whatever, nine bucks. And how much money went into making that movie? And we're talking thousands and thousands, maybe millions of dollars. And he, he kind of talked about the concept of saying, stop thinking about the movie as the end product 
and start thinking of it as a advertisement for a product that costs a hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Something like look fits. look into the film is like the film isn't the end product. The film is basically whether it's a, a what there's something that the film there's there's something beyond the film that you're selling. Mm-hmm. I guess Star Wars is the best example of that. It's like you've got a hundred different products that are being sold based on the characters in the movies and everything, you know. And and Star Wars makes so much more, you know, billions of dollars off of the the, the toys and and everything. And and there's just different levels of that. Yeah, that's very true. And also. Uh, also, that cup of coffee, you know, that coffee shop, they can keep selling that cup of coffee for now until the cows come home. But a film has has a shelf life like that. Yes, there will always be a bottom line figure, you know, so like after the theatrical, after everything's all done, after the hype's all died away and then maybe four or five years past that. Yes, there's still, if you're lucky, still going to be on an independent level anyway, there's still going to be some kind of like base number of transactions that you can bank on, you know, it, even though it'll be small. But with coffee at a coffee shop, they can still keep that volume of transactions going indefinitely because they, they're generating a product that doesn't have a shelf life. You know, mm-hmm. there is no one cup of coffee that's popular now. And then for, for three years from now, no one ever <laughs> wants that coffee again. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah. oh, I had that coffee. I already seen it. You know, I don't, <laughs> no, that doesn't exist for coffee. Like, right. there's no yeah. shelf life for that. It's like coffee. I had that yesterday. Yeah. That but with a film, there is, there is definitely a shelf life before it's like, okay, what's your next film? You know what I mean? Like, I've seen that one already. I don't need to see that same film a hundred times. So, so that's another aspect of it too, um, which I think when the doors to the store are open, you need to have a a lot of other stuff to sell to monetize as much as you can so that way when that shelf life fades you've gotten enough out of it to keep what you're doing sustainable and move on to the next project not to mention if you're thinking about branding which as a creative everybody should be thinking about you can monetize your brand it doesn't always have to be the film you know what i mean like there's a lot of people i know they make money just Doing guest talks, doing tours on guest talks, you know, writing ebooks about themselves, consulting. And those are mainly craft related. But I think, you know, if you build a strong enough brand, you can monetize public appearances. I mean, just look at reality TV stars, man. They're getting, they make money just to show up to clubs. You know, like it will pay mm-hmm. $10,000 to show up to the club. I mean, that's a different space. That's a different social space. But they're monetizing their brands in other ways. You know, it's like you once you and that I think that's another reason why it's important to build your brand, too, because that is something you can monetize as well. So when you're in between movies and you're still, you know, getting what you can out of the last movie in terms of building that sustainability, there's something else you can be monetizing on your way into the next one. So but you can't do that if you're not thinking in those terms. You're just thinking of, OK, I have this one product. Got to sell this product. You know, let me yeah. make a hundred Facebook posts on this product. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, let me bug all my friends and family. You know, <laughs> like everybody come by the movie, tell all your friends, and it's like, okay, you know. Um, but once that's done, man, you're back to square one. So, what what would you do if you like looking back at Unsound? What are there any mistakes that you feel like you made, or, or is there? I mean, aside from thinking about Sundance and things like that, were there any big kind of lessons that came from that? That was your first feature, right? Yeah. Were there any kind of lessons that you learned that you would maybe not do on the second film? In terms of like craft and storytelling, I think I learned so much making Unsound that I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for that. So I don't think there are mistakes I wouldn't have made. But if you're talking like the I mean, the things you learn from, yeah. of Of the business side of it? Yeah, I mean, whatever. I think going into the next film, I'm more prone to look at the marketing side of it and what I could 
sell in terms of ancillary first before going into the film. And if I can do product placement or something, I'm going to look at the business of what I can generate with the film first. And I'm not going to probably not going to do a drama genre or a drama next. I'm going to do something that is easier to sell. Even on the online space, I feel like genre films do better. But again, that's looking at the business first, you know, and once I kind of work that foundation out and that strategy out, then I let the creative guy out and say, okay, here's your framework. Let's make something out of that. Mm -hmm. So that way, when you do all the creative stuff and that's over and you made the movie and it's done, well, now the business side of it has already been worked out. You already had a strategy for that, you know, Mm -hmm. and hopefully you've been marketing and making micro content along the way. So you're still building your audience. I plan to keep doing that as well. But yeah, like for instance, to give you an example, like I've had an idea where I have a character. um, I'm not giving the bare bones of the story or anything, just the marketing side of it, but I would pay attention to what the character's wearing and see if there's a thing I can work out where I can get custom glasses made or something Mm -hmm. uh, that the character wears. So that way, uh, if it hits, that's something I can monetize. Um, (laughs) That's, that's really interesting. I mean, I never thought about that. that. That's all they do with all the other movies. That's all they do. You know, like get a a jacket, something emblematic that when you see it, Oh, I know what that's from. So that you can monetize that. I'd pay way more attention to what the characters are wearing, locations even. If I can get a location that I can control, then, you know, I've had thoughts of like, okay, what if I could set it up where I could, uh, if it's a property or something, keep that property and set it up almost like a museum. So people can, if you're in town, you can drop by the location this movie was filmed in. You know, like that that's a little further down the road because that takes some capital to secure. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. these are things that's like the ideas don't come unless you're thinking of how can I, what can I sell? I need to build my ideas around things I can sell. You know, I'd probably keep a lot of track of like the production and how it went so I can make an ebook about it day by day, make a diary ebook about it. Um, make a ton of behind the scenes content so I can sell it in packages, probably do a tour and just rent the theaters out outright. If I'm at that level, just do the tour and rent it out outright. Don't even worry about going through anybody else's anything because we'd have enough of a pull on social media to probably warrant that. And then do a touring model, kind of like what bands do because they make all the money on t-shirts and stuff. Anyway, just mm-hmm. bring ton of merch, you know, and charge like at the ticket, Prices on the heads will have to be a lot more because we're buying it outright. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But if you're if you're doing a tour and you are showing the film and you have somewhat of a brand already, people would pay money to see you in person. You know what I mean? Like you can make an event out of it. It's like, no, you're not just going to a theater. We're going because he's there and the cast is there, you know, set up red carpet deals and pictures and have a whole Instagram session where you can take pictures with us. But again, I'm in a, I'm in a little bit of a different boat because I've got a a little snowball already. And by the time I even get to that point, it's going to be a lot bigger, Mm -hmm. but I don't see why any, Anybody else can do what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything special. But that's what I would be looking at. How can I monetize everything else but the movie? Like, because the movie, <laughs> like, literally, like, you got it. Yeah. What else can you sell other than the movie? The movie's great, but I mean, you know, you're, you'll never make everything back off that price point, you know? And mm. on top of that, if you do hit and you do get that little phenomenon, you know, the semi viral, whatever, whatever, man, if you had your ducks in a row to monetize that, look out. You know what I mean? Like, 
because then that'll be hugely now you've got steam you got marketing because if you've been branding yourself and doing all that so now you got numbers because you know the numbers go up when you get something that hits and you got money in your pocket you know it's like you got you got options now whereas if all you're thinking about is a movie and you know i mean i don't know it's just very confining on top of that you're not even thinking about your personal branding you know and building your own name up and micro content so it's like without if you took the personal branding off the table as far as your online presence and micro content and you took the entrepreneurial you know you need to sell things at different price points other than the movie and literally all you had was the movie you're dead in the water completely dead in the water there is no sustainability in just a movie just like the music industry there's no sustainability in just making songs the only difference with them is they can tour like they have a tour model there is a whole community built around that where it's somewhat sustainable where people can bring you to their city because they've heard about you that that doesn't exist in film there are there is no culture built around the film circuit it's literally you going out and doing everything but with mm -hmm. touring you got promoters and all of that who are like hey town we make this much money i'll split this with you but they they it's in their benefit to have their ear to the street to see who's doing well on the circuit because then they can bring him into town that doesn't exist in film so you know um so they have a little bit of a leg up there because they can just monetize their personal performance which they do all the time you know especially mm -hmm. when they get higher up there and they charge 10 grand for a show here five grand whatever you know but you build your way up but you can't bootleg a, a live show you right. know what i mean like yeah, and you, you see that more lately because music has become so much cheaper and people aren't buying, you know, CDs like they used to. It's like people really they have to tour. That's the main way they're making money now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's what I would be, you know, going into the next projects, you know, what I would be mainly thinking about is thinking more of a store model. The the, the film only opens the doors to the store. You got to have stuff on the shelf to sell. If you got nothing mm -hmm. else to sell, you're dead in the water, you know. Um and just thinking of it in terms of creating an experience for your audience, too. Like, sometimes I think people, there's this bad connotation that comes with artists making money, you know, which I really don't, I really don't appreciate it because it's like, oh, you're an artist, but you're thinking about making money first. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Like, right. surgeons can afford not to think about that because they just make enough money inherently in what they do. Artists... Unless you're thinking about sustainability, you're not going to make a dime. And guess what? If you can't pay your bills, you can't afford to be an artist. Everything costs money. I mm. can't tell I can't tell the electric man, well, I didn't sell a phone today, so can we just hold off on that bill till next month? No. You know, you need you need a camera to go shoot to be a filmmaker. Well, Canon's getting paid. You gotta submit yep. to film festivals to get the film screen. Film festivals are getting paid. You got it. You need screenwriting software. So you go buy Final Draft. Final Draft is getting everybody else is getting paid. But you. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, you know, it's strange that 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 kind of like because I've, I've been around that mentality. But filmmaking is so based on money. You know, there's so much out. You know, even talking about like box office, you don't have anything, any other industry where you know exactly how much movies are making, you know. And there's so much emphasis on, oh, well, it costs this many million to make and it made this many million and da, da 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 And yet indie filmmakers kind of consider it kind of uncool to like talk about, oh, well, I'm trying to make a profit off of my film or whatever, you know? The ones who think it's uncool are the ones who don't get to keep doing it. <laughs> because if you don't want yeah. to think about it, man, you're not going to make it, you know? Right. Or worse yet, if you hand the car keys to somebody else, guess what they're thinking about? They're thinking about how to monetize. And that's why usually when you do it, you don't see a dime. It goes to them first. And now you're getting into all the ethical stuff, too, you know. But it's like 
you know, if you're not thinking about how to make money with what you're doing, you're not going to make money. And this is not just true of films. This is true across the board. It's true with music. It's true with painting and fine art. It's true with YouTube. There's a sea of YouTubers. I mean, there are only so many people on YouTube who get the volume to live off of AdSense and live well off mm -hmm. of AdSense. There aren't that. I mean, that's that's not a very big pool. Now, if AdSense is only a small piece of the bigger engine, then, yeah, it's a substantial amount. If if it's a part of another way of making income, sure. But most of the people who build a business model around their YouTube, they do well. They do just fine mm. because they're they're generating business with their videos. The videos are only opening the door to the store. Mm -hmm. So they do fine. It's all the people who are like, oh, I'm not making enough views to make money. All oh, YouTube sucks. This is, this is, I'm making, why should Google make? Well, they're, they're making money. They're doing this to make money. You know, mm -hmm. if you're in it just to be creative and you're not thinking about how to monetize your own stuff, that's your fault. I mean, like, no. that's on you. I mean, there's a ton of ways to monetize what you're doing. You're just choosing not to look at them. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's a harsh lesson kind of, too, you know, like. You really got to think about how to to do what you're doing and you got to think long term, like, because let's face it, man, like life happens. Emergencies happen. You know, cars break down, laptops die. If you don't have, if you're not generating income, man, like that's where it stops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it stops right there. Yeah, I think it's, you know, but the next generation, it's funny because my, you know, I have a seven-year-old son and he doesn't care about TV and doesn't care about movies. What he cares about is YouTube. And he sits there all day. Well, not all day. I'm not a terrible parent. <laughs> But uh, he watches like Minecraft videos and it's just these guys, you know, sitting there playing Minecraft all day. And, uh, you know, they have like three or four million views and that's the new generation. You know, that's that's what he's going to grow up with. He's going to tell his son, you know, that's what we used to do when we were kids is we would sit there and watch YouTube videos all the time. So, you know, a lot of us that are the older generation are just rushing to try and figure out kind of how things are working now, you know, because and I think that happens with every generation is just, you know, something, you know, for the generation in front of mine, they didn't know what the internet was. And then people started using it and doing things with it. They never even thought of, you know, mm -hmm. I think this is a, uh, this is a change that needed, like the whole landscape is changing, but I think it's for the better. There's a ton of growing pains, but I think the old system was broken anyway. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, the business wasn't structured in a way where it was democratized. Like it was very much based on appeasing someone who had money and resources and connections, you know, mm -hmm. like the classic Hollywood. It's like, in order to be a star, they had to just like you and pick you. You had no mm -hmm. control over getting yourself out there or anything. And they molded you into what you wanted. You know, back in the old days with Marilyn Monroe and all them, you were just a puppet. So if right. fame and fortune came to you, well, you literally were just lucky, literally. You know, and then, you know, when you migrate into, um, I guess, the 90s, you know, like it was becoming democratized, uh, but there was still a lot of aspects of it that were locked away, like communication. 
you in order to, to get publicity, you have to pay and use the PR machine. And if you don't have that money, you can't play that game. Uh, there was no way to efficiently spread word about anything economically on a level that we can all do. Because let's face it, most people don't have trust funds and we don't have money sitting in a bank. We don't have rich parents. We don't you know, we don't have that. Mm. So uh, and not to mention the distribution avenues were locked away as well. You know, like so basically you had to go through gatekeepers for everything, even though you could if you you had money, you could make a film, you know, um, mm. but there were still so many gatekeepers. But now we're at a time where. Because of technology and prosumer tech, you can do anything. Literally, you can self-distribute, you can self-publicize, you can monetize. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You can generate your own content and it's all at a killer price point. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can get aerial shots they couldn't even dream of in the 60s. You know, like <laughs> the, yeah. the barrier to production is as low as it's ever been, and it's only getting lower. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like you can literally do everything. You can become your own studio for crying out loud. All that is is connection based, you know, and if you build a rapport with companies – because YouTubers mm -hmm. are essentially doing that now with all the product placement and all the sponsorships that they're doing. Uh, that's essentially the same thing, you know? So, so we've entered into this age where you can do it. But I think the problem is the mindset of the creative has not changed over yet. So all the tools are there for someone to really do their own thing. And you don't have to be in LA or New York or any of those places to do it anymore. You could do it. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Tucson, man. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you can be anywhere. And like a, a huge part of my fan base is from India. I have a lot of Indian fans. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. A lot of the comments, most of the comments are from India. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but right. you can be everywhere and anywhere. Like, you can sell, like, Everything is there for you to do your own thing. You can, you, the whole machine is there. You just have to pick up the tools and learn how to turn it on. But people don't see that. They're still relying on finding somebody who's going to make it all happen for them. And they don't realize that. Yes, you have to wear a lot more hats. Yes, you'd have to learn more skill sets. But there is way more power in that. You can become a powerhouse and not really need to rely on anybody. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. So, uh, but the mindset, the general mindset hasn't changed. And I think it's changing. There's a lot of thought leaders like Scott. I consider myself talking that, but I'm not a thought leader on that because my channel is more geared towards giving tips on people for how to do this filmmaking thing. You know, I haven't touched the marketing side like, Sherry Kander and, you know, some of those other heads, you know, like where they're really frontlining it, you know, but mm -hmm. um, I think the more the thought leaders come up and the more successes we see coming out of that, I think people will eventually realize, hey, I want to do what this person's doing. Hey, what they're, sound, they're, what they're saying, that, that actually makes sense. Like eventually that's going to change over. And when that happens, pretty much all of the old structures are all going to come crumbling. They're already falling, but I, they're pretty much it'll be rubble. Because people are going to be like, why do we need you? 
Yeah. Like we build our own audiences just to go to you and you monetize them and you get first money and then screw me. Yeah. Like exactly. I, I don't need you. I know how to build them on my own. I'm, I'm just going to sell direct off my website before I go through you. You know, you're doing nothing but throwing 30 page documents at me and robbing me. Yep. You're playing middleman. You're not doing anything. You know, and they're notorious for not spending any of their own money for marketing. So it's like, I mean, literally, what are you doing? Nothing. You're literally doing nothing. So, um, yeah, and I, I don't mean to take like a negative, you know, viewpoint <laughs> the old way. I, I don't really want to be negative about it. You know what I mean? But I just think what comes with the democratization of communication and mm-hmm. uh, of tech because those are the two biggest things that have opened the doors for everything. I could not do what I'm doing right now and build a following had it not been for YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. Had it not been for my ability to self-publicize, I wouldn't be here. So I couldn't do this pretty much in the 90s. This would not have been an option. Yep. And when I do self-distribute, I wouldn't be able to do that in the 90s. Like All of the things that I'm about to do were not here. Mm-hmm. Not that long ago. So um, so the tools are there. We just need to change. We just need to change our outlook, our, our, our view. And we need to embrace being creative entrepreneurs now and not just creatives. I don't think it ever worked for anybody, to be honest with you. There was just a lot of people who got lucky. But, you know, when I see when I see I've, I've gotten into a couple of meeting rooms um, since all of this and. You know, what I what I honestly see is, you know, some of the people we look up to and we're like, wow, yeah, you made it. If you sit down and you talk with them, you realize the perception of success makes it seem like they made it. But they are still begging and pleading for money for the next project all the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. All the time. Spike Lee does it all the time. It's like pleading and all that. And. And they don't have direct connections with their audience. Yes, their name could command funds. Yes, that is true. They did a crowdfund or whatever. But had they been building their brand on the new models now, they would be 10 times as big and 10 times as influential as they are. Mm-hmm. Because they would have had all of that time to build strong connections with their fans. Not just the guy on the pillar hooping rainbows and unicorns. You know, They would be 10 times stronger. And plus, they haven't embraced the models of self-distribution to the extent that they have. They're still relying on the machine. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to do anything else outside of that. So I don't really want to be a part of that model anymore. I thought I did until I saw it, you know, got in a couple of rooms. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be a part of that at all. Like, What what did you see in those rooms that (laughs) that you didn't like? It's just a lot of... A lot of fear-based decisions. There's a lot of uh-huh. bottlenecks you got to go through. You know, if I come to you with, okay, I got to come to you with five ideas. I pitch five ideas. Maybe you like one of them. But then you got to take that idea and go to a, a studio or a mini major or whatever, and you got to pitch to them. I mean, yeah. how many points of failure is that? All Just that alone, how many points of failure is that? So I'm sitting here spending all my time generating ideas for you so that you can go to them. You know, because they can give the funds and you've got everything else, the distribution or whatever, you know, or you got deals with them. But like by the time we get an idea that everybody likes, man, that could be years. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder you hear stories of people going to all these meeting rooms and then it's like, well, nothing ever came out. So I just went and made my own film again. Because like 
there's too many cooks in that kitchen, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would rather focus all my efforts on making one idea. Think about all the marketing. I mean, I understand what people want to see just off YouTube half the time. You know what I mean? So I'd rather do that. Invest my time, raise my own money, make it at a super cheap price point as far as investments concerned. And then just do the whole ball all the way down the line and build up my own brand. Then to spend two years chalking these ideas to the middleman of the middleman of the middleman. And then the studio gets it, you know, say they like one idea, but how many films have fallen apart in the pre-process of casting or if no name gets attached, it doesn't go anywhere. Or if a name gets attached, but then nobody, uh, the funding doesn't go all the way through. Or if the, the executives get fired and new executives come in, and then they scrap all the old projects. And your project was one of the old. Like, there's so many points of failure. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Or the green light. It's all the way greenlit. But then they pull the plug at the last minute because they just decided, oh, wait, we found out another studio is making a movie just like this one. And they're further. You know, like it's just it's too much. Too many points of failure. Way too many points of failure. And I'm not going to spend all of my creative juice and energy knocking on that door when I can spend half that energy just making YouTube videos and connecting with people, building relationships, building virtual relationships, you know, mm-hmm. building my brand and do my own thing. Then I don't need you. Sell direct. I don't need to have billboards all over the place. I got a direct connection to them. I put out a video. They see it. I tweet. They see it. Yeah, I may not be getting those super impressive million box office numbers now or whatever, or maybe not for a while, but I don't need it as long as it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, yeah. that's the name of the game is sustainability, right? So I don't need to be the next freaking, you know, inception, but I may be small. I may be off the radar, but I got a well-oiled machine that's only getting bigger and it's sustainable and I can afford to do what I'm doing. So I'm only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you ever do reach that status, I don't think an indie can ever reach like Hollywood, Hollywood status. Cause you know, they got, I mean, that's like big money they're messing with. But if you can reach an indie cult status where, uh, which I think is more than attainable, where your viewership, your fan base is very loyal and you're a well-oiled machine, you know, selling all your own stuff. I mean, I I would take that over directing the next freaking blockbuster any day, any day, because I do what the hell I want to do. The really important thing that you're saying, you know, is that people need to start right now making a connection with an audience and, you know, empower themselves instead of just waiting for stuff to happen. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, well, marketing is the biggest the biggest thing because you can do everything else and the price points are low enough where it's manageable. Right. Yeah. But the only thing that everybody has a problem with is marketing. That's the biggest problem everyone has, literally. So if you place most of your effort in that and start working that machine and getting it refined, well, once you tackle that animal, everything else is your oyster. Like there, there is no other bigger problem than that. You can raise money easier. You can capitalize your products with crowdfunding. You can find investors easier. Uh, people were willing to listen to you. You can do uh, product placement deals. You can talk to companies. You can get sponsorships. You can get donations for cl- like all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything else is easier once you get that brand down. 
Whereas before it was money and it was connections. But now that's not the case. It's marketing. Because the money and connections, that stuff comes when you get that name down. But you need to get that name down. Yep. You know? So uh, that's the biggest. That and then, you know, understanding that you need to take the entrepreneurial spirit. If you want to make money and make this sustainable, well, you need to think about it. You can't let somebody else think about that for you because they're probably going to screw you. So <laughs> you need to think yep. about it and uh, and take yeah. the bull by the horns, and uh, you you should be should be all right. And I think you know it, it's going to take a certain type of person to do all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think because it's more intensive now and we have to do more that kind of narrows down the character type, you know, the person who inherently has the qualities to be into all of that. Mm-hmm. Cause let's face it. If you hate marketing and you're a recluse and you got your hair covering your face half the time and you know what I mean? <laughs> it's going to be real tough for you to get yourself out there, you know? So yeah. uh, whereas me, I'm fortunate enough where I direct, write and all, but I enjoy acting too. And I enjoy just talking. I'm an extrovert. So that's helped me a lot in the online space um, because that comes easy for me. Right. So uh, I can. Yeah, that's that's my that's why I do a podcast, because I hate being on camera. So, I, you know, I, I struggle with that. I've done a couple of videos talking about screenwriting. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to start a series. And it was like I did one. And I just felt so uncomfortable being on camera. That I was like, OK, podcast. Yeah, and I've seen people pull it off without doing my approach. Uh, like every frame of painting, he's a prime example. You never see his face. Nobody knows his name. Well, no, they know his name. Tony Tony Yang, his last name. But but he's, to me, an example of somebody who's the anti-Defordarius. As far as our models of doing it are completely different. You know, yeah. like very – his voice is very calming. Uh, he just yeah, – his, his videos are incredible though too. They're just yeah. you know, right on point. So you don't have to you don't have to be me to do it. You know what I mean? It's like if yeah. you're that type of person who you're like, well, I don't really want to be, you know, in people's face. I don't want to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. But at the end of the day, you need to be skinning the cat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Something's got to get skinned, you know, like. Right. <laughs> so however way you figure out to do it, just make it happen. Yeah. Um, but again, like it takes time for people to figure out what works for them. I think that's the big point. If you don't get in there and start swimming, nothing's going to happen. The thing about YouTube is it evolves, too, as a platform. So yeah. it's just like film. Sometimes things are in and then things kind of fade. Uh, it's the same on the online space. At first, when YouTube was a little younger, unboxings were popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was the thing to do is review everything, unbox. Now, that has faded. So there was a point when people built whole channels on that. And those channels are still around. Because mm-hmm. they built when it was fresh. So people still look to them for the newest, latest, greatest stuff. But for all the people who were late to that game, trying to do the unboxing thing <laughs> and all that. And then, like, they just weren't just... getting the killing numbers. And, like, man, you know, like, the, the people who were first to do it and then the people just beneath them, they're fine. Yeah. But all the people who saw and looked up to them and then they all tried to jump in there and do it, too. They're the ones who just didn't get anywhere and ended up washing out because it's like, well, everybody's already getting their fix on all the big unboxers. Mm-hmm. They're already getting the fix on them, you know, and not to mention, uh, I think the platform as a whole just kind of moved away from that as it matured, you know, because that was still very much a vlogger type thing. Oh, look, I just got this thing. I'm pointing the camera. This is what it does. This and this and that. But as people go on to YouTube for more and more things and it's becoming more of a staple in our culture, it pretty much is a staple. But as that process happens 
the expectation of what to look for on there changes as well. Now everybody knows there's not just cat videos on YouTube. Now everybody knows like, hey, my kid watches it all day and they watch this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. And I I list off like five celebrities I know of. They don't know them. And they Mm -hmm. tell me five celebrities I've never heard of. Like we're in two different worlds almost. Like it's it's a whole nother ecosystem. You know, before (laughs) I got into YouTube, I couldn't tell you anybody's name. And then as soon as I got in, I was like, holy crap. How did I not know about these people? Yeah. You know, so, uh, but, you know, and as the content value quality changes, like, like Freddie, Freddie Wong and them, you know, they were doing just cheap special effects videos when they first started out, you know, and yeah. they got a ton of subscribers because they were just having fun and the platform was young then. Mm-hmm. So the expectation of all this high quality stuff wasn't there. And then as the platform got older, they got better. And now they start being the front leaders for all this high quality stuff, but they've also raised the bar on the expectation as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same for the unboxing stuff. It's like as the platform grew and as the people who became known for doing the unboxings, their channels grew and they became more put together and sponsors and all this stuff. Well, the expectation of what to see out of that changed too. So if you're going to try and compete with them, man, like you got to really have some kind of other angle because there's no other craftsmanship aside from talking about what you like about it. That's going to set you apart from them. And they're already killing that. They could rifle off stuff you probably don't even know about because they could talk to the manufacturers. So mm-hmm. um, so that's a hard thing to stand out in. Whereas with mine, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people giving filmmaking tips. but And the market is somewhat saturated, but there's a lot of room for, you know, story. There's a, there's a lot of things that have not been talked about yet still. right? Um, and there are not so many people doing it that. Like there's still a, a ton of room in that space. The niche is not exploited fully yet, mm-hmm. and it's the same for a lot of other niches too. So, um, so yeah, the, the review, the review video stuff, all that is to say, I'll probably never do that. <laughs> um, and, and just for two, I'm not into that. Like maybe I would do it yeah. on a vlog, you know, if I got it in a vlog and I talk about it. But right. just creatively and technically, I'm not into that. You know, I'm not really into all the tech stuff to be honest with you. I'm not into that. I don't want to talk about the red camera. I don't want to talk about, um, you know, the specs of the new freaking black magic, whatever. Like if you look at my video, some of the video, like the truth about filmmaking, man, I shot that on GoPros and 60 D like, I'm, I'm just into getting the content out there and the story out there. I, I could care less what camera it was shot on like that. I don't, that doesn't get me, but story gets me. You know, that's why yeah. you see breakdowns and stuff, because I'm into that, like learning how to take movies apart and understand why they work. I'm into that. I'll talk about mm-hmm. that all day long. But, you know, if you set a red camera in front of me and start, hey, tell me about the specs. Let's just talk about specs. Like, I'm not into that, man. Unless I'm shooting with it, I ain't really into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, it, that doesn't do nothing, you know? I mean. Yeah. And there is a lot of uh, camera or, or gear porn out there that people are already getting into. That's actually something, you know, maybe we can do another podcast episode and talk about screenwriting because that's kind of my main thing is talking about structure and story. And although, you know, one of the things that I really love about your channel is that you also talk about things like, um, and I don't want to go into this too much because I want to kind of wrap it up. Um, but I haven't really seen that many people talking about brainstorming and cre- coming up. How do you come up with creative ideas and how you do a lot of the things that most, you know, people don't really talk about that much. And, um, 
you know, that that's kind of what I'm in. You know, I, I write a lot. And one of the main things that I do is I have to figure out how to kind of jumpstart my creative mind. You know, I have to put myself in situations and do things. And I had never seen anybody dedicate a video to how to get your creative thoughts out there, how to, you know, what you do. And, and a lot of the things you mentioned are things that I, I do. I kind of thought I had invented them. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh, you, you mentioned that on your video. But like, the, you know, and I was talking to uh, um, Rob Edwards, who, uh, you know, is the, one of the screenwriters for Disney. And we were talking about that. And that that's actually my, my last episode was talking to him. And he was talking about all these things that he does to kind of jumpstart his creative mind, you know, in terms of he wrote The Princess and the Frog and Treasure Planet. And, uh, you know, he said that like watching other movies and getting the when you were saying I watch a movie and I say, you know, you say to yourself, oh, well, if I was making this, I would have done it like that. And that's how you generate creative ideas. That's exactly one of the things we were kind of talking about, you know, and I think that that's really important, especially for writer directors to understand is that whole creative aspect of things. Especially with creativity, uh, it's like you have to, you can't create something from nothing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like you have to have the raw materials. That's the reason, that's one of the big reasons why I think people reach these creative droughts in their careers, especially writers when they're stuck in the writer's room for so long, work, 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 and you stop living and experiencing. Well, when they write all of their experiences into their work and then they run out of those experiences, you got nothing else. I mean, you can't write about being a writer. You know what I mean? I mean, you can, but I mean, you know, it's like you, you have to keep living and you have to keep ingesting raw material and other creative works that all falls under raw material because it goes into your brain and it does that little magic where you just kind of ponder on things and, Oh, I like this. And I don't like that. And I like this. And you Frankenstein concepts together and you just start piecemealing and then you poop out, you know, a masterpiece, but you, there is no masterpiece that is not Frankenstein from pieces of life experience or other creative works that you're inspired by or taking the meat from this other idea and leaving the bone that you thought didn't work is like, oh, I can do that concept better. This is what I would, you know, like, but you still have to ingest that work to do what your version would be. Either way, you're still consuming. Yeah, I think that's a large part of it. Even when I make YouTube videos, I do the same process, same exact process. I see what other people are talking about on a subject. Oh, I don't really agree with that. I agree with this. So I like the way they worded that. I don't like the way they worded this. Read a couple of articles on it. Think about my experiences on it. Sprinkle in that, you know, or wrap it in a nice engaging package. Add a little humor, sprinkle humor in there. Boom, you got a video, you know, but I'm not just like sitting here in a vacuum, <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, when I come out with a video, I like put my feelers out and I see what's out, you know. So when I talk about YouTube, same thing. When I make a video about YouTube, same thing. You know, it's like I bounce what I feel about a topic and what other people feel about it. And it just gets the juices going, you know. Um, and I find it's just easier to create when you allow that as a part of the process as opposed to fighting it. You know, if I'm starting to get antsy and I start wandering off into Facebook, well, I'll direct that into just looking up something related to what I'm doing. So that way I'm still ingesting. But uh, yeah. All right, man. Well, I, 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 you know, I've taken up a lot of your time today and I, I'm hoping that maybe we can go back and talk about the more, you know, this has been primarily marketing. Maybe at some point we can talk about the more creative aspects of filmmaking, but I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks for, thanks for reaching out. All right, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank my guest, Darius Britt, a.k.a. D for Darius. You can find him on YouTube. Just put in D for Darius when you go to YouTube and you should find him. Thanks for listening to us and we'll see you on the next show.
I want to thank Jason so much for doing such an amazing job with this episode. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 697. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.